years late to the movies. <laughs> it's slightly more syllables, so it's hard to. Yeah, you got to do that part fast. <laughs> they they got me on that part because he went through the first the first door and yeah. I was like that's the here's Johnny thing and he didn't uh-uh. say it and I was like oh, Mandela effect and then the, I saw the second door and I was like oh, okay. no. then he does a big bad wolf thing I love oh yeah and then he says here's podcast I don't know <laughs> it doesn't let's lock that one in you can't do it oh <laughs> uh, well no I was saying you just say here's podcast every time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe you know that's that's as good as any place to start. Because um, I, I, I don't really know how to yet. This, this is going to be that. Maybe here's podcast. Maybe maybe I just say here's Johnny and it's like not provide any context or something like welcome to late to the movies. My name's Ben Holt. Every week on this podcast, me and my friends talk about a movie that at least one of us hadn't seen before. We get to fill in our blind spots. Talk about fun, fun, not heavy. Not sort of mentally taxing movies at all. Um, last week, we put out two full episodes on four Matrix movies. And so to relax going into the new year, we thought something real lighthearted, not at all dense, nothing to dig into. So we're doing Stanley Kubrick's 1980 classic, The Shining. Hey, guys, it's a uh, normal, normal, um, Normal perfect movie crew is here. That means I'm once again with Greg and Ray. How are you guys doing? Hey. Great. Yeah. Wormed your way into another perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. We're, not, not to tip my hand too much on my thoughts of this film, but. Yeah, we're happy to be doing a movie that almost has a New Year's Eve party right before New Year's. It's we'll great. get into that for sure. <laughs> and then uh, the the newbie on Late to the Movies this week is Robbie. Hey, what's up? What a surprise. Uh, Robbie is so late to the movies that he didn't know he was going to be on this episode until about four hours ago. <laughs> yep. So I just watched it 40 minutes ago. And I'm glad you mentioned the heaviness because I kind of feel like that office episode where they're like, they taught Michael the intercom and then he just left. I'm like, they made me watch this movie and then I just have to go home. <laughs> uh, I guess I just got to go home and then, oh, sleep. I'm going to be sleeping. (laughs) So I think especially this movie is a really fascinating one to get someone very raw off their first watch. That was the other thing I think I'm like, great. I'm glad I had this whole drive to process this. (laughs) It's not overly complicated or deep or anything. Just up the 25 mile long sidewinder over to the back to South Coast. I just just picture you in your car, like the opening sequence now. (laughs) (laughs) It was that moment like tone playing the whole time. There, there was no music playing, and I just kept the windows open. It's about forty degrees, you know. Just get the get the mood. This is going to be a really tough movie for me to not. Every time we talk about literally anything, push my glasses like way up the bridge of my nose and go. Did you guys know that they hadn't invented a way to film out of helicopters yet? So a guy had to like tie himself to ropes and just lean out the window. You know, and that's I, how they filmed that sequence. As soon as I saw that opening sequence, I was like, "This is something that is like." used all the time now in yep. movies and commercials because we have drones. I was like, what the fuck did they do? I right? did not even think about it. Because they definitely did not have them. I love that yep. the first thought wasn't like, oh, we could make like a, a, a stand or a connection for it. It was, uh, tie some ropes to that asshole and <laughs> kick him out of the helicopter. They, they didn't have a way, you know? They just did it. They absolutely, if they had a way to hang a man out of the helicopter. <laughs> well, they probably tied a rope to the, he's literally like detached with bungee cords and ropes and stuff. He's like, in case the ropes fail, you got bungee cords. He's like, okay, I guess so. There's so many of these guys are still around because the movie only came out 40 years ago. Mm. And um, 
there's a lot of people who, you know, in their twenties or thirties or whatever, they're still around. So you can see interviews of them on YouTube. But first, we usually start by talking about movies that we've all seen recently. I know in particular, Greg had one he wanted to bring up. Yeah. I saw Spider-Man. Oh. No Way Home? Yeah. Robbie's seen the first three minutes. Ooh. (laughs) What'd you think? I enjoyed it. I liked the direction they were going into. It reminded me a lot of the last three minutes. (laughs) But um, I did get a little bit more information where... uh, I got to see him like take her back to her apartment and then the movie fixed and put on the matrix. Yeah. As addressed on the last episode, they showed us the wrong movie for like three minutes. I did hear that actually. The upsetting part of that is I made it the entire time without seeing a preview to this movie until I was in the movie and they played the preview for it. Oh no. (laughs) You hadn't seen a preview? I did. I almost felt like complaining, like it wasn't worth it, but I'm like, I bet you I can get my 15 bucks back because this is a valid complaint. I am a little annoyed about this. So what do you guys think of Spider-Man? No, I assume, Ray, you saw it too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought it was okay. (laughs) I thought it was a lot of fun. I went into it with the wrong mindset. Yeah, I went into it knowing it was going to be fun, and I had a good time. He went went into it expecting some kind of, like, I don't know, masterpiece. I haven't seen a Marvel movie since the last Spider-Man movie, Mm, which I don't know. That's a problem. Yeah, so instead I've been watching all, like, high-quality good movies. (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, for this, like, and then I went. This in. isn't at all like Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> yes, and like, as you know, we only do top tier movies. Here. Like I went in thinking too. Like I was paying too much attention to the plot and the details, and that's not how you're supposed to watch Marvel movies. You're supposed to just kind of enjoy the ride. And let I let it wash over you. I think another issue I had, which isn't really a spoiler, if you've seen any of the trailers. Which, you, <laughs> you have now though right no it's fine don't no. worry about it i know i've i've heard we've talked about that enough that i know like all of the people are in it yeah well the only thing it, there was another spider-man movie not that long ago into the spider-verse which while they are very different they have enough similarities where i'm like comparing it to a movie that is much better than it mm. that's tough i mean that's you know, a creative team that I really love with Lord and Miller and the other guys involved with Spider-Verse. Um, Peter Ramsey also, great, great director of that movie. And you have these guys who put a lot of heart and empathy into their movies versus Spider-Man No Way Home having to be Disney, Sony, and Sony's sort of bell cow for all the money that they should have made at theaters this year. Yeah. So it's, you know, they're, they they need to accomplish very different things for the creative people behind it. Yeah, it was okay still. I still enjoyed it, but um, eh, it was fine. I'll I'll rewatch it at some point and maybe I'll enjoy it more. I think my take was bo- with both of you. I was I wasn't like disappointed by it. It was like, oh, this is no. fun. I like popcorn as as much as anyone else. I don't mean to be too dismissive. I don't think it's going for anything more than that. But it's a lot of plot holes and a lot of weird decisions by characters. But on the other hand, teenagers make weird decisions. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you mm-hmm. kind of just want to be like. Peter, you're a really smart guy. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> None of this would have happened if you would just stop talking a little bit. Yeah, I mean, somebody could do that to any of our lives at any point. Like, just be glad that nobody's looking for plot holes in the shit you do every day. I know, <laughs> but if you got, like, a wizard telling you, hey, stop, you're ruining the universe, and you're like, I'm going to keep going. Like, 50-50, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know, just stop, maybe. And then you're on maze, like... These psychopaths, they mean the world to you now that you just met. And you're like, I don't know that they do, May. <laughs> you do. They, they I don't do. Know. I know that they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. It was <laughs> fine. 
I also, uh, I know we were already wicked off track. Also saw The Witcher, though. Yeah, the new I was going to say, yeah, we watched Toy, all of the toss a goddamn coin. coin. I loved the first episode with the guy from Game of Thrones. And um, yeah. then I thought the rest of the season didn't really live up to it. I think part of that is the first episode is very directly based on a story from The Witcher books. And the rest of it is they kind of did like, Late season Game of Thrones were beyond the books, so now we do this. Except they're very much not beyond the books. They just were like, we're going to do this thing. So, kids, I, I love the show. I love the series. I think yeah. it's great. I think I would like it a lot better as a standalone show and somebody else to take over on The Witcher. Not, maybe not take over, but just like they don't do Witcher things. The first episode, he hunted a creature. And that was it. I mean, and there, there was, was like a pathos little about like, what makes a monster and like the nature of, you know, fatherhood and stuff. <laughs> like they then they just don't get it. Again, fantastic show. Loved it. Yeah, don't see. have a lot of complaints about the show, but I just I don't feel like they've done a great job of of doing Witcher. Things. That's true. They did not do many Witcher things in this season, but I did enjoy that it was linear this time. Yes, yes, <laughs> it that was, was nice. much just easier. The, they're telling the one the story thing. now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, should we talk about The Shining? <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to talk about Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Mm. Didn't come out until 1980. They worked on it for a very long time. Shooting process was arduous. Took about 56 weeks. Um, sounds like it was not fun. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun, though. But they made a really cool movie. So this is uh, new to Robbie. Do you want to give us the? Uh, you want me to put a minute on the clock again? Oh man, I don't think you need the whole minute this time. No, it's uh, yeah. I guess it doesn't actually have like a super complicated plot. Let me uh, let me pull up pull up a stopwatch. All right. So is the ghost still? I Go. know kung fu. Oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> so uh, oh wait, sorry. Wow. Let's let's do a fun one. Here's Johnny. So. Uh, <laughs> Johnny is wants to be a writer. Uh, he really is having trouble doing that. So. Okay, let's start over. His name's Jack. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's hard because the actor's name is also Jack. <laughs> so it's easy to get confused. <laughs> um. Well, his name is John Torrance, so it's all right. Yeah. He, here's Johnny. <laughs> all right, so Jack wants to be a writer. and uh, He used to be a teacher, hates being a teacher, wants to go move to a hotel to manage it while there's nobody there. Great time to be a writer. Nobody's around. Should be fine. 45 seconds. Him and his wife go to move there with their son. Already seems to be a little bit of a history of abuse with the father. He kind of jerked the arm a little bit. And also he's a teacher that kind of clearly hates kids. So interesting plot points going on here with the family. But uh, they go to the hotel. It's kind of creepy scary. It's a little spooky. Seconds. Previous owner murdered, previous maintenance man murdered his wife and his kids there. So his kids start seeing like hallucinations. He's got an imaginary friend that doesn't seem to be that imaginary, has this weird connection with the chef guy. So then, uh, you know, everybody leaves and shit starts going seconds. down. Jack Nicholson is going a little bit crazy. He starts to get more and more violent. Kid does a psychic Damn. beam to the chef guy. He tries to come save him. Jack kills the chef guy. And then uh, they escape, run away. Jack freezes to death in the mace. And time. Good job. Yeah, yeah. nice. That was pretty okay. good. Yeah, yeah I had I like a heartbeat slowly... over that. Man, that'd be fun. Yeah, <laughs> only the second half. You you sped up too as the time got lower. You can have the heartbeat speed. <laughs> <laughs> I think around like forty seconds, you were on the closing day. 
And then the last 20 <laughs> seconds were all the action in the movie. Yeah. Well, like, again, I, I just watched it. So, like, as I started talking, like, I really had to, like, reel myself in a bunch of times because so, I was like, I, mean, I want to, like, explore these paths. <laughs> speaking extemporaneously and only for a minute about a movie that dense that you only just saw, I think you did a really good job, actually. Yeah, yeah no, it was very good. <laughs> I think you hit it all. You didn't explain The Shining, so let's get into that. Oh, damn. Well, I mean, you weren't going to be able to in that much time. Um, I mean, oh, I the, thought you meant actual... like the whole movie. I was like, yeah, we still have to film no, a little bit more. Not that glib. Um, lowercase, The Shining. Um, the name of the movie he didn't talk about. I feel like it should be uppercase. Okay, whatever. Well, you know what I mean. The concept of The Shining. Mm. Yeah, so we really get all our details of it from the... from. Halloran, right? The chef. Scatman Crothers. Yep. Playing Dick Halloran. Yeah, when he talks to Danny. Danny. Um, <laughs> you did I that have... for dramatic effect, right? For dramatic effect. It's going off the rails already. Already. <laughs> These names are tough. Jack, Danny. Dan. Oh, my God. Wendy. Wendy. Oh, no. Yeah. But they don't even give us a ton of details on it. No. Right? I, Part of uh, the ambiguity. He at least tells him that, like, I could have conversations with my grandma or just in our heads. She called it The Shining. Yeah. That's so pretty much it. It seems like, based off of what he says at first, like, having the conversations, I always assumed it was, like, telepathy. But then the more he goes into it, the more I feel like they kind of just hint at it being, like, a sixth sense. Like, you get a, an idea of, like, what's happened in places and, like, just vi- kind of vi- general vibes about things. You're just vibing. So I, I, You're just vibing, yeah. I feel like they showed us what The Shining was. I, I think it was when he's talking to Tony and he first puts him, like, asleep and he's like, show me. And you see, like, the girls and the waterfall and, of blood and, like, all of that. And, like, you see all of those things happen and then they cut to the kid in, like, a coma. And I, I think that was exactly what he saw And like, that was the shining. That was like the exact kind of, that was how it worked. Yeah. The way, so Danny's a six year old kid. The way he processes and understands this is it's the little boy that lives in his mouth, Tony, who is showing him these things while he's sleeping. He goes into some kind of trance and he's shown these images or whatever. And the way he understands it is that it's someone named Tony who was speaking to him and showing him these things. Yes. I was under the impression that you he does not have to just be in a trance to get these oh no no no, in, no, no. images and yeah I I didn't think that either I just think that that was an example of like yeah so like the other messages would have looked differently and they would have been a similar and maybe they wouldn't have been visual but maybe they would have been like feelings like it seemed like yeah. um the chef uh, Halloran Halloran got uh, a feeling something was wrong or no he actually he had a nightmare too it seemed like. Yeah, because he like zooms like out. Vision, and you see yeah. it like zoom in on his face, and he's like, <gasps> his eyes are definitely open though. Yes, mm. but he's just looking at the porn that he has on the walls. I love that. <laughs> I've never understood like, that. <sighs> I've never understood that because it's very like intentional that they show it to us because yeah, it starts off like very zoomed into the TV, and then very slowly they zoom out, and you're like. What's that on the wall? It's like, oh, wait, there's a naked picture. It, was, was it on both sides? Yes, he had yeah. it on both sides. So it starts zooming in. And they did the same the thing again. over the TV. <laughs> they immediately do the same thing again. It starts zoomed in on him and it zooms out and they're like, wait, what's above him on the bed? And it's another nude, <laughs> nude Why? What, what is the, why? I don't know why that was important. I kept, that's just how it, he gets down. It's, I, he's I kept, in Florida. That's what it's like. It's here. funny. Like, I, I thought it was funny, but it's not supposed to be funny. I was trying to figure out how it was like, I, I was assuming it was some kind of like protection do you know what I mean? I don't. Like, <laughs> like, he, no, he doesn't seem to be into protection. The, the evil spirits can't come past the titties. Like, I, I, it's just, it's it's like 
set in what the <laughs> mid seventies. <70s>, so. <laughs> Maybe the no, that, was the that just a thing people did? Did people just hang porn up on the walls? Yeah, popular. It's the 70s. The movie's 1980, but I believe, so the novel's 1974. Yeah. And I think so, the, the movie's basically set in the 70s. It's a, when did they say the other guy killed his family then? Well, I thought they said the, that was the 70s. The previous year. Oh, it was, okay. I was assuming it happened a while back, but no, it, it would have happened. With, it was recent. Was it, okay. it, it, uh, All fun stuff. He says it, Charles right? Grady. When he meets him, it's Delbert Grady. What's that about? It's weird. Mm. Mm. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so yeah, he goes for a job interview. So the, the way the movie's structured is it has these title cards that come up that I think are something like the interview, yep. closing day, mm-hmm. one month later, Tuesday, Wednesday, eight a.m., four p.m. Yeah, because yeah. I, I noticed they get they get they faster. Get, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yep. And I just think that's really cool. I like everything in the movie is designed to put you off balance, and I think not having a consistent format for what the title cards are denoting time wise is part of that too. Mm. Yeah, especially because it's like Wednesday, like you don't have a date. You know, yeah, right, yeah. like what Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I do like too that once it switches to like, you know, actual time, like number time, you're like, oh shit, like like now we're, things we're, are getting serious. The, yeah, we're getting this close. is serious. We're getting we're getting an end here. So I did like that. Yeah, for sure. Once well, yeah, once it's actual time, I think anytime watching like a documentary or a biopic that there's actually like a specific time that comes up, you always know like, oh, this is supposed to mean something to me. <laughs> Well, that that was kind of the thing you get from it too. Is like while watching it, when they do that, and especially the parts that they chose to cut it off at, you almost feel like you're watching like a documentary, like where it's like this. I, I don't know. It has that very similar feel, and I'm wondering now if documentaries took that from this. Do you, like, I don't know. Yeah, they did. They had very abrupt like scene cuts. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Good movie. I noticed even in that's like about the- it, right? Yeah, let's wrap this <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, that's all. I noticed even in the very beginning, the interview, like when he arrives to talk to the head like manager, and he's Ullman. like, "Yeah, he's like, oh, let's get the other guy in here. Who's that other guy? What's he do? What's he do? Well, when they even mentioned him, the, the scene cut. They go now there at breakfast with Wendy and Danny. And I was yeah, like, in yeah. any other movie, this guy would just walk in right now. He'd be like, oh, there he was. He's in the other room. But instead, it's like, oh, they need a little bit of time to find this guy. We'll go see what Wendy and Danny are doing. <laughs> oh, she's uh, smoking with them at breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that kid had the most secondhand smoke, man. <laughs> really long. The the next time they did it too was right when they were talking about The Shining, and he like explained something, and like I think the kid had a question, and then it was just like. Leaving day. Yep. Yep. The cuts are abrupt. There's one in particular time when the music's building and then there's a big music sting right when the title card comes up that even on this most recent re- rewatch got kind of a jump out of me. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. So right from the very beginning, it puts you off balance. It's everything just seems a little weird, just a little heightened, mm. just a little bit of strangeness coming from everything that Jack Nicholson's doing in this movie. 
and we start with him in the in the interview. So that was one of my notes was, uh, oh, Jack Nicholson is just a crazy person that uh, they started to film one day, huh? Because he does this way too da- goddamn well. Like he's just like, yeah, yeah that was one of um, Stephen King's complaints about the movie yes. is that they should have picked somebody that was like an average Joe because audiences knew from the very beginning what was going to happen. Uh, like they knew he okay. was going like, yeah. to this is this is coming after one flew over the cuckoo's nest. So. Mm-hmm. People from the beginning are like, oh, so this guy's crazy, right? Mm. Yeah. Honestly, uh, this was only the second time I've seen this movie. And I only, the last time was a while ago, so I didn't remember a lot of it. But by like 15, 20 minutes into this movie, I'm like, oh, he's already off his rocker here. Like this, I was like, they're not hiding what's going to happen. As soon as they mention like the last caretaker murderous family, like five minutes later, you're like, whoa. Yep. Jack is almost <laughs> in murdering mode already. He yeah. starts, even in the interview, he's at a seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very unsettling from By the very beginning. 30, 40 minutes in, he's already at a nine or 10. So. Yeah. Yes. I had a Jack is already crazy note. Um, I think very, very early on, I was like, is he still drinking? Like, <laughs> and that's, right, yeah. I wasn't sure about that either. It's like, there could have been like a whole part of that where he was like sneaking bottles and like, this is a symptom of advanced alcoholism. Cause I know some crazy hallucination shit starts happening with that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his, that's, yeah. That's part of it. His alcoholism threw me off guard because as soon as the interview starts, he mentions like, I'm a writer, you know? And I'm like, Oh, okay, here it is. And he's from Maine. And I was like, this is Stephen King. Oh, and he, his wife, his wife loves horror. <laughs> they mentioned, he mentions that. And she was like, okay, he, I know he likes to be the main character in all his things. But then there, he's like an alcoholic, and I was like, wow, he usually likes to be the main character, but I feel like it's weird when you make yourself the main character. I'm like, I'm going to make him an alcoholic. He's going to axe murder his whole family. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Yeah. Is, is that worse than finding Jack in just get on your nerves, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, is that sc- finding that screenplay worse than finding him right all work and no play who makes Jack a dull boy? Because it's pretty crazy. My note for that part was God writers are insufferable. Because <laughs> 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 as soon as he was, he's like, I just, I need the space to think about my craft or whatever. And I was just like, oh. Yeah, yeah. So after closing day, you go to one month later, and the first scene is Wendy bringing him breakfast in bed. Which, like, thanks, Wendy. Maybe say thanks. That's cool thing you're doing. And he's immediately. She's like, "Hey, do you want to go for a walk?" And he's like, "Well, I really need to work on my writing. I only slept till eleven thirty today, so I really need." I noticed Wendy's the one doing all the work in this. Like, I don't know how it is in the book too, but she's like. Doing oh, yeah. the maintenance work. She's in the boiler room. Yeah. She's getting done. He He's chosen a nocturnal schedule for some reason. He's on a nocturnal schedule. <laughs> yes. And he's completely arbitrarily chosen a nocturnal he, schedule. Yeah. Not only, is, it's very clear that he's abusive in at least some capacity. Uh, they're not very clear if he still is or if he, he is actually like. Or according to him, it was one accident three years ago. Yep. Anybody um, could have done it. But he's also a total man child. Yeah, I, I noticed kid like that. at yeah. one point he he's locked in the pantry. It doesn't say how long he's in there, but he makes himself a meal and it's like peanut butter out of a jar, some Oreos <laughs> and like, and yeah. I was like, you have access to all the food except for the meat. Like everything is in here and that's the best you could whip up. <laughs> also, he's seemingly in there for like 25 minutes. So. Yeah. <laughs> but he did make but himself he's, a meal. He's, he's made, like, a little nest for himself food. too. He's made he's like a bed a out nap. of cardboard boxes. <laughs> <laughs> So we, we should use this to, opportunity to transition into talking about the performances a little bit. So, as someone who hasn't seen The Shining before, it being maybe the signature role of Jack Nicholson's career, almost definitely the signature role of Shelley Duvall's career, what did you think of what Jack Nicholson is doing in this role? 
Can you get a little more specific with that? That's a, a broad. So he he's he's firing basically 100 miles an hour heaters right over the fucking plate from from scene one in this one. He's like so keyed up, so weird, almost doing like what Jim Carrey is going to do in the 90s <laughs> in Ace Ventura pretty much already. So w- was that surprising to you that like, oh, it's such a prestigious filmmaker and this, you know, movie that people talk about is one of like, oh, the most important movies ever made and stuff. Then you get in there and Jack Nicholson's already going like this and stuff just from the beginning. Oh, um, I think that wasn't as big of a problem because I'm just used to to Jack Nicholson at this point. Okay, so um, not surprising or anything. No, yeah. I don't no, think I, it's a problem. I think it's a great performance. I, I was saying ex- it's weird as hell. I was <laughs> expecting him to be Jack Nicholson. I think it added to it because the whole thing was very like uh, you were on edge the whole time because he's so erratic and yeah. like. Yeah, it's just to to be around people like that. You 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 know the mindset Shelley Duvall is in, and uh, he did a very good job of portraying that. So I think maybe it would be unexpected, but I think it's pretty accurate. I know Stephen King didn't like it as much because you can you can get that feeling right away. Critics hated it too. But um, he's a crazy person. They're not yeah. supposed to make sense. So I don't know. Yeah, I, no, I thought I thought Jack Nicholson's performance like carried the whole movie i mean lots of it can stand on its own but i just thought it was incredible like i went and looked it up after i could not believe he was not nominated for an oscar for that uh no no nominations it did get um golden razzie nominations i didn't i did see that i thought jack nicholson was great in this i mean if you want to give like some like credence to the critics sure if he could have dialed it back in the beginning like if somebody had reeled him in for just like the first 15 minutes yeah fine but like it yeah. didn't because he was unsettling from the beginning he it didn't need to like evolve more if if you wanted it to be a surprise but i don't yeah. think you needed it to be a surprise no. it was nope. gonna happen nope. movie worked just fine like you said uh like he was erratic so you knew what was going to happen eventually but now you're just waiting for him to snap and you don't know when it's going to be how it's like exactly what's going to happen mm-hmm. yes. obviously you're suspicious he's going to try and murder the family with an axe yeah um, because that's what the last guy did, but you don't know when he's going to snap or exactly how it's going to happen. Or like why, like what's his justification going to be for doing this? Yeah, so I think it was okay that he, you knew right from the beginning. I think it could have been interesting to like try to leave it as a surprise, but I don't think it had a huge negative impact. I, yeah, I actually kind of liked it too because one of Stephen King's MOs is that he tells you what's going to happen at like the beginning of the book. Mm, like yeah. you know people are going to die at like the beginning or something like that. So that's not actually what happened in the book this time, but like he's, that, that's he's like- He's done that before. Yeah, it's but, a classic, it, him being like, it was a, a cold winter at the Overlook when Jack Torrance tried to murder his whole family with an ax. Let's get into that. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, going to tell you about it for the next 300 pages, it is and you're going to be interested. That's it's, true. It's, the movie is very different from the book, though. So, so talking about Nicholson's performance, Stanley Kubrick is one of, if not the preeminent, meticulous, perfectionist weirdo of, of you know cinema, especially 20th century cinema. So he would have these actors do the scenes over and over and over again, hmm. sometimes over 100 takes. Oh, my God. The scene between Halloran and Danny where he's explaining The Shining had, I don't know if it still has, I assume, because of just labor laws, it probably still has this record. They shot it 148 times. Oh, my God. Which is uh, a Guinness World Record. Please tell me they used take one. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you know what we got it the first time. Yeah, we had the first time. I'm just bored. Um, so Kubrick would have him do this, and it would produce this effect of people just sort of losing their minds. And you know, he would tell Nicholson to go bigger, and eventually, how you just start making sounds, and then you start doing weird stuff with your face, and then he's doing like that lizard tongue lick thing. Yep, yep, and stuff. So it's just an effort of just mentally breaking everyone down until they start not even thinking about it and just physically reacting, I guess. Um, when we, so with that being said, we should really talk about Shelley Duvall in this movie. I am dying to know what you thought of her performance, Robbie. <sighs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. God, I just, so I, I really liked her performance and I was trying to think of how I was going to award this. I think it's fantastic to see, someone like power through and persevere in a movie in a way that so clearly comes from a person who wants to run away the entire time. Like it it seemed like there was nothing about this person's character that made her want to fight whatsoever, but the need to protect her kid and to portray that without seeming weak or helpless, but to just kind of seem like someone who has been dealing with a crazy person for their entire married life. Uh, it was just, I thought it was a powerful performance is what I thought of it. I really enjoyed it. And I liked that aspect that I don't think I've seen before in like a, a I don't know, with a victim character. I'm not sure what the word would be for it. But. Yeah, yeah. The the sort of damsel of the movie, the kind of. Like she was clearly a damsel. She you know, was, it's sort of like the, the virgin character in a slasher movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The final girl sort of vibe. But she never had to, like, change herself or, like, she was never expected to be something more. She wasn't expected to, like, buck up and be tough. Like, she just kind of, like, fought back the best she could and did manage to get away with at the end. I, I don't know. I, I liked her character. I thought it was Spoilers, pretty Spoilers. So, Ray, you can probably speak to this better than I can. We should we should note, Ray is the podcast's uh, preeminent Stephen King correspondent. And um, I also have read this book, but it's been a really long time. You've read this book multiple times, mm-hmm. including earlier this week. Um, Wendy's really different in the book, right? Yeah. Um, she's like a stronger, more independent person. That was one of the, I know that's one of the problems Stephen King had. Yeah. I, I mean, mm. she isn't like, I don't know. I never saw, thought that she was like a super strong character well, in the yeah. book. Um, but she definitely is stronger than she's portrayed in the, in the movie. Yeah, so, <laughs> I so, really hated her character in the movie. <laughs> like even the first time I ever watched The Shining, I was like, wow, I hate this lady. Like okay. she's just screaming and like, I don't know the way that she runs, the way that she holds that bat in the movie. I'm like, have you never seen a baseball bat in your entire life? She's <laughs> like, running with the knife. And she's running and her arms are <laughs> the, flailing. The, the way time. she runs and holds the weapons, I <laughs> die. I just imagine Stanley Kubrick being like, no, no, no like do it, but like how like a person would do it. Like I, I don't want you to run, but like like a hu- human being, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like. But hold it, but normal. She looks like a limp noodle the whole time. Like that's how she like walks and reacts to things. And um, so, but anyway, the way that Robbie described it, I think, is how she is in the book. Like okay. she's supposed to be, yeah, she's kind of this like battered wife who's been living with an alcoholic like for years and trying to save the marriage, but. She doesn't really want to deal with it, but she's like trying to protect her kid. So how I wrote off those like mannerisms was she absolutely knew how to hold a bat. She absolutely did not want to hold the bat like that. She did not want to be like she she wanted the situation to go away. She did not want to escalate the situation. So I was reading it as everything she was doing, like 
yeah, she was doing it ridiculously because she did not want to be doing it. She was only doing it when it was the absolute only thing she she could. But um, I can totally see the she does run. Yeah, the run. And then the the part where she's like with the part with the bat where she's like crying and like trying to like I think we need to bring him to a doctor. And then he like mimics her, and I'm like, yeah, that's how I felt you too. Think maybe <laughs> I would have done bring that also. Doctor. <laughs> maybe we should bring him to a doctor. So I did like remember. her performance, <laughs> but I felt like there was only there were there were like I would go back and forth. There were sometimes I'm like, wow, I, I'm really happy with what she's doing, and then other times like, what the fuck is she doing? <laughs> it, I, it seems like we have maybe four different perspectives. Just just to jump in here, I think this is perhaps watching it again this time. I was very keyed into what Shelley Duvall was doing, and uh, it's easily one of my favorite performances ever committed to screen. I think it's just a. Titanic achievement, honestly. It's wow. it's amazing. You see the way it. that you were saying, like they made him do it like a hundred times or whatever. Yeah. I can see that because it seems like she like turned the dial up to ten, basically. <laughs> like she had an instruction yeah. and they're like, no, do more, do more, do more, do more. Now she's like flailing and you know, kind of being the like I said, the way she runs and stuff, sometimes I'm like that part I just can't get over. But like her, the part you're talking about where she's crying with the bat talking to like Jack and he's like going crazy. I love that scene. I, I think I they both do great. Like their performance yes. is there on point. When I saw that scene, well, I'm like, this is unsettling. what the clip would be even at the like, Academy yeah. Awards. Yes. Even in the beginning when she's like talking to that doctor and she, I feel like she gives out the real good battery when visor. She's like, Oh, you know, he had a, a little like, you know, well, it's just a thing you do a million times. It's a thing you do a million like, times when you, when you know, pull him out of the street yeah, or right. with her Vermont, Texas drawl. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And <laughs> she's smiling. Like and- just the, how hopeful and happy she was when she was like, and he hasn't had a drink in five months was just like crushing. Cause you're yeah. just like, Oh uh-huh. God, how many times has that been said before? Yeah. Like her, her whole performance to me is just so heartbreaking this time. Just, you see, just her whole world shattering in every scene. Oh, <laughs> Essentially, yeah. it's, it's that so like w- the scene with the bat. Like when he was mocking her, I w- I agree was absolutely perfect. Like her world, like she just realized, like fully and indisputably, he's fucking nuts. Like she saw the manuscript and she realized all the little thoughts she had, all the like, like nope. And now she has to deal with them. And like, did anyone else get a little bit of a laugh that like the first ninety pages of the manuscript wasn't enough? She had to keep going. Like, well, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Maybe there's like a maybe this is maybe it makes sense if you read the beginning. Just like one, <laughs> yeah. one one ruffle was, a, but she like she kept, but she really she wanted to find the spot where it was like, oh, that's a joke. Imagine if I did that, but yeah, like it just yeah. it wasn't there. Yeah, like I know, like what did you, you get what to you like page for? like the first ten pages are normal, and then there's a character that says, all right, I'm gonna type this for a hundred pages, <laughs> but then it's gonna be cool after that. <laughs> <laughs> like is that what she's looking for? I'm just hoping. Yep. But that whole scene was great where she's like backing away slowly with the bat too and then when she starts like kind of even swinging it a little bit and i'm like oh it is it was really crushing stop swinging the bat wendy yeah (laughs) give me the bat yeah he starts like licking his lips and stuff wendy wendy and he's doing like he's doing like tim allen like like, you know it's so just so that scene even um like right after when she drags him to the pantry and she's sitting there just yanking on the at the pantry door over and over and she's like crying as this thing won't open and the camera is clearly positioned where you can see like that this a lot like you can see it's, everyone is still locked when it's like you gotta, I it's, it's used the, a lot of like doors like that but i would know immediately and she's like crying she's so panicked like, yep. yeah i think yeah. i mean it's a stage she knows you're against the clock if he yeah so he's gonna overpower you if he gets up 
I was upset she didn't also drag the bat with her because when he started to wake up, I'm like, all right, you're going to have to bonk him. Where's the bat, Wendy? Where's the bat? <laughs> you're going to have to bonk him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, he was too heavy. She needed bolder hands. <laughs> Gotta bonk him. Yeah, um, yeah that's... <laughs> bad Johnny's get the bonk bat. Yeah. Was... Um, so that scene, just to, just to key in on it, while we're still talking about Shelly Duvall and the scene in the Colorado lounge, She's swinging the bat. She's in um, maybe the second or third most terrified she is in the in the movie. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And she's walking up the stairs back backwards and swinging the bat and all that stuff. Uh, Kubrick made her film it 127 times. Mm. So yes, I'm not sure which take they used, but she was very tired. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> take they freaking used. Um, you were right, Shelly. You got it the first time. I'm sorry. So she's in. You know what, guys? We actually got this whole movie first take. Yeah. I don't know why we did all these. <laughs> we were done week three. Um, so, like I said, a 56 week shoot. The first few scenes, she's not in emotional terror. Um, most of the movie, she is in this elevated state of emotional terror, and she stays there for over a year. Uh, I can't imagine what that does to a person. After this movie, Shelley Duvall makes some other movies, essentially mostly transitions to children's programming. She produces a couple different really successful kids, um, like anthology shows, and then basically retires from Hollywood in the early thousands. Sort of disappears. She's staying at a hotel in Colorado. No. <laughs> so she pops up. She she purposely like cuts ties and like gets out. Turns out she moved to Texas in 2016. Dr. Phil tracks her down and they bring her on for a very, very painful to watch interview where they let her like talk about, you know, kind of just ramble on about like conspiracy theories and stuff. Um, And like they don't protect her at all. It's extremely exploitative. And uh, obviously there's a huge backlash. She just disappears again. In the last couple of years, people have actually tracked her down that have good intentions that aren't Dr. Phil. Mm. Just earlier this year, I think in the Hollywood Reporter, there's there's a pretty good article about her where someone actually went and interviewed her, and she's she you know she's she's in her seventies now, so any kind of like mental weirdness isn't it doesn't actually seem to be quite as exaggerated as Doctor Phil made it seem. She's has like really good memories about this time and stuff. To this day, even starting then to this day, she's talked about how terrible of an experience this was but sort of has always couched it in a way that it's like pretty diplomatic. Like she'll talk about how stressed she was, how her hair was falling out, um, all this terrible stuff she was going through. And then she'll, the symptoms not actually. Yes. And then she'll say at the end, but Stanley Kubrick was like very warm and friendly to me. And he was, and like Jack Nicholson was very gentle and like everyone was like really happy and stuff. And it just like, it's always just like, you feel so bad for her because it's just, you know, it just isn't something that she seems like she wants to get into. Earlier in her career, it's in the 80s and you're a woman. You're not going to be like, oh, yeah, Stanley Kubrick and Jack Nicholson are assholes <laughs> if you want to continue working, obviously. Yep. Um, so I just feel really <laughs> you just it, you can't help but like your heart just breaks for it because I don't know how you get in that emotional state, but I imagine it's by being emotionally abused IRL and then um, to stay in that state for basically over a year. And uh, yeah, I just don't know what that does to a person. Oh. And then for people to say that she sucks and for her to, to fucking win the golden Razzie for worst actress. She definitely was not worst actress. No. First, Although this first movie year, got first. a lot of hate. Oh, right. got a ton of hate. People are wrong. And the Razzie and the Razzies and cynicism, you know, those guys. 
Any any worst movie of the year, list that too. I mean, it's just why be cynical? Don't be an asshole. I'll, I'll have to find the article. I read it a while back, but there's a bunch of directors, and Kubrick is one of them. Where uh, there is behind the scenes of like the torment he puts people through to get these scenes. It was oh, a, yeah. a big crack piece. It was very good, but I think this one was on it. I know Birds was on it, but that's a different. But I'm pretty sure she specifically was on this. But uh, yeah, and it's tough. And like I've said, she's never like been so straightforward. And 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 her defense, why would you want to get into it at this point? Maybe. Um, but other people, Angelica Houston, who was dating Jack Nicholson at the time, who was around the set, was saying like, oh, yeah, it seemed like she was being for sure emotionally abused. But like I wasn't there. Maybe I misread the situation. But that's just the impression I got. <laughs> yeah, your hair doesn't fall out for no reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, you got a good performance out of her. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I think it might legitimately be the most terrified anyone's ever been on screen. Her, I her also love when he's a. Uh, Obviously, like chopping the door on with the axe, and she's just screaming. That scene specifically, I think, it's, it's so very good. Iconic. Yeah, I know it's very iconic, it's, but like she does a really good really job. Effective. And I know yeah. you're just screaming, but like <laughs> yeah. she does it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that that's her face in that scene, and her eyes especially, mm-hmm. um, just about as iconic as him pushing his face through the crack mm-hmm. of the door. Yes, I mean, yeah. not to be mean, but. A lot of times I was concerned her eyes were going to fall out. (laughs) (laughs) So we can talk a little bit about the filming process. Um, So they use these wide angle lenses to make the spaces feel cavernous and the characters to feel really small and overpowered by the negative space around them. And, but at the same time feel really claustrophobic by this sort of labyrinthian hotel that they're stuck in and the literal hedge maze labyrinth that they are occasionally stuck in. When you use a wide angle lens really close to your face, it's like when you take a selfie and you look terrible, same idea. So your features get really elongated and really stretched. And he just happened on purpose to pick Shelley Duvall, who already has a kind of bird-like appearance, and Jack Nicholson, who has like this crazy angular face already, and then shoot them with wide angle lenses and it makes them look like monsters that's and okay. that's that's on purpose i didn't think she looked like a monster i just thought there were a few times her eyes looked like they were gonna fall out <laughs> yeah but she looks kind of crazy the whole time she, everyone looks bit. like everyone's yeah. face is just a little bit distorted mm. and it, it produces this sort of like maybe not even consciously this sort of effect of just like you know dissonance i think throughout the whole yeah, movie no absolutely <laughs> especially with the kid um, i'm glad that that makes a lot of sense because I think you see it a lot less because his features are softer, so yeah. it's not as explain is is noticeable. But I did notice he felt very like wooden the whole time, and I think you could see the expressions a lot less through that lens, um, mm. which is interesting. What do you think about his performance? I feel like he's very important in this, um, and I feel like it's hard to get like a really solid performance out of a. How old is he? In six. The, I was going to say, he's so real little. Danny Lloyd, he's legitimately six. Yeah. I mean, I know Jack is like really the main performance, but Danny has a lot of important things he does. Well, once movie. once you get into Jack's descent, they really switch his perspective to be from Danny's perspective. Yeah. And then a little bit from Wendy also. But you start with Jack and then you really shift to literally the cameras over Danny's shoulder in multiple mm-hmm. scenes. So. Yeah, I think he did a really good job. I mean, right from the very beginning, I wrote this kid is like a 30-year-old with burnout. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's just tired. A, imaginary and, man in your mouth telling you things will do that to you. Well, and like, oh, I just need to lay down. As, as you go through it, I think I realize like, 
that's the performance you want from him. Like, that's exactly like what is intended from his character. Um, and I wasn't going to criticize the kids acting anyway, but then when you started saying the takes, I was like, all right, so that's how they got such a great performance out of him because I was like, I don't know how you make a kid seem this, like he seemed like he's seen some shit and it's like, oh, he has seen some shit. It's this scene 120 times. Um, (laughs) you know, it's funny that you say it that way too, because in the book, most of the book is told from Danny's point of view Mm. and like a big, he's basically the main character. It's not Jack. Okay. Um, but a big theme throughout it is that he's so young, but he's trying to grapple with like all of these really adult concepts that he doesn't understand, but he needs to in order to survive. And he gets very, very burnt out. So yeah, he's basically yeah. like, you know, a 30 year old now and like a five year old body. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's totally right. Yeah. I think he does a good job. They would just kind of like have the assistant director play with him in between takes one to like keep him, you know, He's a six-year-old. You can't just have him sitting waiting for his mm-hmm. his scene, but also to get him out of scenes where there's any kind of violence or, you know, anything uh, like yeah. that happening. Yep. <laughs> so uh, he's famously very protected, the opposite of what they did with Shelly Duvall throughout the filming of this movie. <laughs> where Why and, does my mommy look so tired all the time? <laughs> <laughs> where they wouldn't really tell him what's going on aside from, like, the next scene you're in, okay, you're going to be doing this. And uh, you got to go get your fire truck out of the room, but don't wait, don't wake daddy. And you'd be like, oh, okay, I got it. And uh, I guess he he did internalize a lot. Of, it, it wasn't just sort of, uh, you know, th- there was some performance from him that they, that the people who made the movie give him credit for that. Like he, he really understood what they were going for in a lot of scenes. They just didn't give him the whole picture yeah. of what's happening all the time. Mm. So you got to address your, after every sentence you say to your dad, say, yes, dad. Otherwise, he's going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but that scene with the fire truck. When he, uh, that oh, that was me. a tough scene. That's yeah. that's like the tensest scene in the movie. It just keeps going. It does. I don't like how you're hugging that yeah, kid, dad. It's no, so dad. drawn out. Like, and did you notice how much space there is in between each like line that they say? Yes. Like, there's so much like dead air between them. I could probably easy, more easily count the times I didn't have chills going through me than the amount of times I did. It was just that whole movie. I was like tingling. It was nuts. Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about this movie, and it happens so much with Danny. Some of it probably maybe reading into too much of. You never really see Danny in the same shot as something terrifying. It's his face going like, oh, no. And then you see the thing. They probably weren't actually in the same set at the same time. One of the things I love about this movie is that it subverts how horror movies work. Because pretty much any time there's a ghost or a scare, you see the character reacting to it for like a few seconds. And it holds on a close-up of them being like, oh, there's something scary. The movie's about to show it to you. Get ready. And then it shows it to you, which is the opposite of how horror movies work typically. Mm-hmm. And Especially I just, today, yeah. I, it just produces this really crazy effect, and you're just so... It just... It, again, it, everything about the movie is just throwing you off. It's just this weird kind of remove that... It gives you the... Like, what you really want from horror movies, the where you you make the better monster because it gives you those few yes. seconds to be like, oh my God, what is this? Yes. Kind of thing. It lets you, based on how the characters are reacting and between Danny and Wendy, two of the best performances of Scared in a movie ever. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you get to 
just like make it up in your mind and then you see something you're like wow that is terrifying yeah. well it's <laughs> so it's like if it cut and it was just some guy like hey it's me you'd be like oh that's stupid yeah some <laughs> dog blowing a dude or something <laughs> although the one time where the guy's like hey good party and when he's like oh no you're like he just wants to say it's a good party yeah. <laughs> he had an axe wound he did have an axe like some kind yeah of but he's wound. being like pleasant he about it he's yeah. very courteous he's about not it. whining about his axe wound yeah. um, so I, I really um, like that they did that the filming the two separate scene things like you were saying because even right now like when when Danny got the bruises on his neck and they even show you like there was the woman in the tub or maybe there wasn't but like your thought is did Jack was he awake at some point did he actually do it and not remember like I don't think I don't think he remembers doing you know what I yeah there's 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 so much ambiguity in the movie that I guess Stephen King hated because there is not ambiguity to this extent in the book whereas if you really think about it aside from the scene where it's Jack who is being you know, approached by ghosts in the gold room at the party or in the bathroom with the old lady. Um, anytime Danny and then even later Wendy sees a ghost, they're not threatening them. They don't even move towards them. They, they're never attacked throughout the movie aside from by Jack. And I just feel like that's a really cool concept. Mm, it's Again, that is not what happens in the book. They get chased by topiaries in the book. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Topiary tree. Yeah, in the in the book, there's not uh, a hedge maze. It's topiaries. Okay. So it's just like, like animals. Like in the oh, animals, it's like a tiger made out of leaves. Yeah, gotcha. and the animals like move when they're not looking, and then they chase them. Gotcha. Um, do they do they explain in the book like was it Jack that bruised Danny, or did Danny actually get attacked by something? Um, Danny did get attacked by the lady in the bathtub. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, and by taking that out of the movie. And you're like, well, nothing's ever actually attacked Danny that we've seen. Right. It could have been Jack. Yeah. Well, that's because they like, did have like a. Wendy was in the basement. Jack was in some kind of fugue state. They had like a long period in the book where Jack, even Jack wasn't sure though. Where he yes. was. And, and Wendy did think that Jack had done it for a while. Gotcha. Um, But they just didn't know. And then it was like a big thing because Danny had said, like, you know, Mr. Halloran said that nothing in the hotel can hurt me. Um, But then it actually did. Gotcha. Interesting. Mm. Yes. Yeah, because um, that's tough. Because in the movie, you never re- really fully sure the ghosts are real or not. Yeah, yeah there were so part many parts where I was like, "Is yes. Jack talking to ghosts? Is he like, yes. is it cabin fever or is it ghosts?" Right? Yeah. Yes. And yeah, I think that's supposed to be a big part of the movie. Is you're does, not, you're uh, never really sure. It does answer a little bit because, well, especially at the end when Wendy's seeing stuff. Although she's in kind of a odd state at the end too, so it's like. I guess you could try to argue that she's not seeing ghosts, but I feel like yeah. she definitely is. It's supposed and, to be. And a little again, bit nothing, of nothing attacks her during that run through the thing. No, nope. it's just her seeing things. Yeah, yeah. like you're supposed to pictures I don't know. in a book. Almost yeah. everything could be explained by a hallucination, but I think it's supposed to be like some of it is like Jack actually just going crazy, but it's influenced by the hotel, and you yes. can you can tell that there is some sort of supernatural thing going on because the fr- the pantry gets unlocked. Well, and so but that, the was- hotel is like influencing it, but. The, the direction it's not like totally the hotel's fault where i was like a little like iffy on it and i'm sure it's very different i was thinking almost like a like a similar cabin in the woods motif where like they had to make a sacrifice like i didn't think they were like the person in the dog mask i didn't think that was a ghost i thought there was some weird like rich person conspiracy where they have to get a family here to murder someone for the hotel do you know what i mean i went more on like a I, but the person with the axe wound in the head kind of ruins that because he was definitely a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I like the, so the concept 
the way that Kubrick constructs this is it isn't that the hotel is trying to kill them. It's that the hotel is trying to get them to kill each other. Yeah. And that seems like that's a more what it actually is trying to make happen. Um, and I think that's a pretty cool concept. It's mm-hmm. a lot more, obviously the shining book is in this sort of vein of modern Gothic horror, but I think the movie being just about a descent into madness and purely someone being pushed all the way to the edge to serve some ambiguous nefarious end game um, I think that's even better gothic mm-hmm. kind of yeah. to me. I did read after, too, that um, one of the things that somebody pointed out is every time Jack sees a ghost, um, there's a mirror in the scene. Like, he's looking towards a mirror. Mm-hmm. So it could be, like, implying that it really is all in his head and he's just looking at himself. It's just projections like he's putting out. And then you could write off when Shelly sees things at the end, like, she's finally... Um opening her eyes to the truth of what he is. So she's not actually seeing ghosts. She's seeing his past behaviors and how horrific they were. If you wanted to. That time he brought all that blood home in that elevator. (laughs) (laughs) That time that dog man blew him. (laughs) Oh, so since we're talking about that, well, it's like, Oh damn, my elevator trap didn't work. I didn't want you to see this. I will say that. The personification of all the blood he spilled through his life. There you go. Um, (laughs) Different level. So the movie is obviously very different from the book. But this is one of my favorite book-to-movie adaptations. Um, I can see why Stephen King didn't like it because it totally tore apart everything that he did. Yeah. But almost everything that's iconic about the movie is not in the book. Mm. Um, So the movie really stands on its own. with blood isn't in the book. That's not in the book at all. Gotcha. Um, (laughs) Him writing out the the play with um, the the dull boy thing, that's not in the book. Um, Him chopping down the door with an axe is not in the book. He has, the maze a, he has is not a roke mallet. He has a roke mallet, yeah. And um, Danny doesn't say red rum. He says cro- roke, croak, right? No, he says red rum in the book. Does he not also say something about roke and croak? He does, okay. yeah, at some point, yeah. Um, red rum's in there too then, I guess. Yes. Yeah, I red, remember a lot of red focus rum on reveal roke, was croak. Yes, <laughs> red rum is in there and everybody's like, red drum? Like, what, right, are, you, what yeah. are you talking about? You want to... Um, and he's like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Like, that's the whole. Yeah. Danny, not till you're 21. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, won't so stop talking about spiced rum. There's the topiaries that aren't, aren't in there. The mm. ending is totally different. Oh, yeah. Um, Just it's so different from the book, but it stands on its own so well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it's really interesting. Like the whole thing is different, but it's such a great movie still. So you saying that it's like kind of this rare you're one of your favorite book to movie adaptations. I agree in the sense that I really love the movie. Obviously I've said, I think it's maybe a perfect movie, probably my favorite movie that we've done on the podcast, but I also love the book and they're they're like really, they're really different experiences. The horror feels different. The vibe is pretty different. But they're both really good at what they do. They so, are. The, yeah, this is one of my book, favorite. It's... Yeah, this is one of my favorite movies. It, it and after I that. watched the movie, I read the book, and it was like literally one of my favorite literary experiences reading that, that book. What? No, never mind. No, no, I said it flies by. Oh, I think like so. like reading the book, you'll be like, oh my god, I've already read a hundred mm-hmm. pages. I didn't yeah. realize, you know. You mentioned like the horror is like fine, kind of different in the book. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys think about the horror in this movie? Like, did was this a scary movie to you? <laughs> this is the scariest like I'm dead serious I <laughs> yeah. really was the scared by this movie the whole time you just have goosebumps yeah like, like I, the, 
this is my type of horror. This is the type of horror yeah. that actually bothers See, me. It's so weird because I feel like I'm normally a horrible bitch when it comes to horror. This movie doesn't really scare me, though. It is very tense the whole time. Mm. But I'm not, like, scared, I would say. That's a really good question. Uh, so I, I, I'm pretty wimpy. I'm super wimpy. But this is also the kind of horror that I dig. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it so many times now that, like, I'm not scared. It's still a little disturbing. I think I always forget how weird Jack Nicholson goes, how scared Shelley Duvall looks and that's still like deeply affecting to me um but the scares in it don't don't necessarily scare me anymore but it's sort of just so good at building anticipation that you can't help but be like all right he's on the tricycle is this the time that he turns left and he's no okay no this is the time he tries the door and he goes in no this is the time the door's locked and it's just like building the anticipation of this movie so much. I think the scariest part about it is like you could cut every supernatural element out of this movie and still make a terrifying movie. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you could yeah. just, it could just be an alcoholic, abusive writer husband locked in a hotel with no outside communication for four months in the winter. Also terrifying. You don't need the ghosts. The ghosts are a fantastic part of it. It's just like that mixed in with the supernatural where it's like you're spending that time of like, does it even make a difference if there's ghosts or not? Like, when you're judging how scared you are? I don't know. So you're saying the hotel could have probably accomplished the same thing if it, like, just turned the heat up a little bit on the stove and had Wendy burn the toast for breakfast? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Pretty he's getting much. the axe. That's all we need to do, boys. Well, like, and that's, we were saying, like, the descent into the madness and, like, being pushed to the edge, but I feel like Shelly was pushed. Jack, they were just like... Hey, you should jump over the edge. He was like, hell yeah. He just didn't jump take over much, that yeah. fucking edge. He's a very flawed <laughs> character from the beginning. So it was just easy. All the ghosts, when they when he came in for the interview, they're like, I don't think this is going to be an easy one. <laughs> with with Grady, it was like a whole few months of it. But I think we're going to get him by like month two. Um, and Actually, then, yeah. in the book, I think it's month two. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah. it's In the book, it, they get, tell you it's December 2nd. But, uh, everything goes down. But yeah, overall, I wasn't like... Yeah. creepy scared like there were it's a, like it's a definitely a different kind of horror. like i said like the part where it's moved uh danny goes to get his fire truck you're like oh no <laughs> the whole time yeah. i think it's tough to answer the question too because I, I consider myself a bitch when it comes to horror movies too but like just because something like saw would bother me more and just because i'd say like i can't watch it I don't find it scarier. I I read those plot points and I laugh at them. Like, I think it's a interesting and like B like over the top, but you know what? Like, I don't, I don't think it's scary. I think it's gory and and unnecessary. Yeah. This is, is something I consider scary. So it's a hard kind of like, I I don't want to stretch it too far, but like vibing on the Gothic horror thing for me, it's almost like it's not, you know, there's not jump scares or whatever. It's it's more of a intriguing sort of construction of the way it produces the thrilling aspects of it. And it's sort of me more being like tempted to like go deeper into it, into this kind of weird. I was I was I wish I had written it down because I feel bad stealing it. So I'll just say there was a YouTube video I was watching that refers to it as a sort of intangible second layer just simmering below the surface of the whole movie yes. that you can't you can't quite ever put your finger on but I want to know more. I want to know what those voices are chanting when she's when Wendy's running around the hotel. I literally went know? and tried to look it up. Like yeah, I was exactly. scouring like, what are they Google saying? after. I was like, "What did they say?" So it's like <laughs> I want to like get my head in there and that's how, you know, in in a Lovecraft story, I'd I'd end up being Jack because I wanted more knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> um but so there's that 
And then there's the reason that we're doing this as the first episode of the new year, which is also this sort of intangible thing that I can't quite put my finger on, that I'm not alone in this. A lot of people think the party that he's at is a New Year's Eve party. Mm. It seems like it. I also thought it was a New Year's Eve party until I reread the book this week. It yep. makes sense that it can't be because the ho- hotel is closed for the winter. Yes, the hotel like that is, is closed very, for the winter. That's absolutely very, true. They mentioned that. Yeah, and it's and it's not like a new thing. I said the entire time it's been open, it's been closed for the winter. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they give us the date for it. I think it's in July. It's, it's, Ju- it's, it's Fourth July. Fourth of July party. It's, July yeah. it's a thing though. If you look up, like I I googled it. it I was is like, is thing. it a New Year's Eve party? And everyone's like, yes. Oh wait, no, it's not. It, it, and then they show the it's picture. So formal. It's so formal. They do like it's the so gold. Formal. It's it's the gold ball, and I feel like yeah. gold streamers are very it's like, like a 20s kind of thing there, there is no red white and blue no no, no. in no. the book it's actually Literally like a masquerade no red, party too yes. um and they have a huge emphasis on midnight in the book yes. yeah and yeah. they have like a whole unmasking exactly. at midnight so it's like oh well then it must like be like every july 4th party yeah <laughs> right exactly it's actually in the in it's the book it's not july yeah a new year's eve party yeah in the book it's not july 4th either though it's um it's august 29th because it's my birthday oh nice but, okay. yeah happy birthday thanks yeah but it's um, just supposed to be like a hotel oh it's full fourth of july party but so that's like an end of summer kind of party it something? was like a grand reopening party oh okay so that because i looked at the, the date on the the picture at the end is 1921 but the hotel opened in 1909 yeah so i was like why did they in the book they talk about how um because uh, because nine two nine two and one make make 12 oh thank you yes <laughs> just ignore the first one yeah um <laughs> and it works in the book they talk about how like everybody that's ever owned the hotel it failed so okay. like there was decades it sat vacant um, and then like new owners would come and they'd like try to redo it. Even in the movie, they talk about how they like had people come in and refurbish everything. Yeah. Um, and in the, in the book, the owner Derwent, yeah. he's like been dis- disgraced or whatever. So he's tried to hide that he owns it or something like that. Yeah. Right? He keeps like rebuying it under like different, like shady company. names. Yeah. And so when Jack asks Lloyd, like who's buying my drinks and he gets kind of mad about it and Lloyd's like, that's a matter that doesn't concern you or whatever. It kind of hints at that from the book, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot It leaves of- it more ambiguous, so you can be like, it's the devil's buying his drinks <laughs> or whatever. Ghosts. Yeah. Ghost drinks. Well, actually, I oh, think I even in like, the- so- Nobody's buying your drinks, man. It's a hallucination. But- yeah. Well, Jack thinks that it's like the whole Durant thing is like a you know big conspiracy sort yes. of thing. And so he's trying to get to the bottom of that through the book. But really, like the management of the because he that's like what he wants to write spirit. the book. That's what he wants yeah, to write gotcha. about, right? Yeah, he wants. Well, he's writing. He is writing a play. He goes to the hotel with the intent of writing a play. But as he starts like getting more involved with the hotel, he's like, actually, I want to learn more about the hotel. So he's like crazily like going through the basement, like ruffling through like milk receipts yeah. and like trying to figure out stuff about the hotel. Yes, um, and he just gets like really involved. There's in a lot it. of basement his, business. I remember a lot of basement. His stuff. descent into madness is probably a lot more interesting in the book. Yes, it's a lot more. Yeah, magical. you don't just start at the precipice and then all downhill. <laughs> you could probably watch him like as he's finding more information, slowly lose his mind. Yeah. More oh and yeah, more. That's probably- it's a very different story. I would really highly recommend like reading Good it book. now after you've watched the movie and you can mm. see what the differences are. Be interesting. It's yeah. really cool. So the differences make for an interesting uh, dilemma for Mike Flanagan, who made the Doctor Sleep movie to reconcile, because the book and the movie. And in very different places. Doctor Sleep is somehow the, se- the sequel to The Shining. Danny as an adult. Right? Yeah, it only came out in 2013, 2012, something like that. Yeah, 
I haven't. I actually haven't seen it. So okay. Well, the the movie's even more recent, but the book itself that Stephen King wrote only came out within the last decade. I think. Yeah. Oh, he wrote a sequel. Okay. Uh huh. And it, yeah, and it's Danny as an adult. He goes by Dan now. Um, that's good because I was going to ask. They specifically like your son is more powerful than blah 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 blah. Great note. Never going to see anything to do with that. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Mike Flanagan, who made Dr. Sleep. And we don't have to talk about it too much because I'm the only one here who has seen it and I haven't even read it. So <laughs> I know it's different because, um, I don't know. Is it okay if we spoil the book for you? It's it came fine. out in 1974. That's you got fine. time. I'll read it anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, the Overlook's destroyed at the end of the book. That makes sense. Okay. Overlook's not destroyed at the end of the movie. The Dr. Sleep movie, he tried to make a sequel to both. And the climax of it takes place at the Overlook. Interesting. Huh. And the Overlook doesn't exist in the book. So it's just sort of like, I think it's just like a park now in the book. I could be wrong. Hmm. Um, after all, it was an Indian burial ground. Yeah. They, what what was up with that? Like at that period of time where everything was just Indian burial grounds. So when when does Poltergeist come out? A couple years later, right? I think so. I don't, I don't know. know. So that, and that's like question. the pull for Indian burial ground, right? So, But it's just, it's been... In more things that I feel like White man's Steve, burden. Stephen King did that too in Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. that was so, Indian burial ground. So he just likes of, Indian burial grounds. Well, actually, it's not Indian burial ground in this right? book, but oh. right. it was funny that they put it in the movie. I was just like, okay, that explains everything. Indian burial ground, of course. <laughs> so one of the things that you know maybe Kubrick is saying that this is about is the American genocide of Native Americans. Yep. Um, there's so many instances of that Calumet can with the Native American in the headdress on it. Um, in the Room 237 documentary, there's a theory about which direction the cans are facing mm. and what that means. Um, and you see like different portraits of Native Americans on the walls in different parts of the movie while different lines of dialogue are happening. And it all means that, or it means Kubrick faked the moon landing, or it's about the Holocaust. Who knows? That's yeah. fun. It's interesting you say that because, like, when they mentioned like the building of the hotel, they said they were building it in 1907 and they repelled um, Indian attacks. And I was like, that seems ridiculous. So I had to Google a timeline. And like the last U.S. skirmish we had with the Native Americans was in uh, 1890. Um, so to have like people attacking a hotel on like the frontiers, like that's very plausible. Um, 1968 for Indian civil rights. Sorry. That's the actual title of it too. It was four years after the regular. I think they're still technically act. not allowed on Boston Common. So Jesus. Yeah. It was an interesting little tangent. Sorry. But uh, it's just interesting. Yeah, for sure. To get into all the conspiracy theories. So that, that pulled out of us saying, um, this is why we're doing it for new year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's also wintry, you know, it's very cold. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do, it's a winter movie where people are stuck together as we're in the middle of the winter and a pandemic that where restrictions are tightening, yeah. it's either the shining or the thing. And I already said, I want to do the thing next October. So All right. <laughs> someone breathe really hard. Like they were about to make a point. <sighs> okay. Probably me. I don't know where I was going to go though. Yeah. You were like, ah, oh. I don't know where we want to go next. Greg's like, all right, let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. I, have, I have plenty of places to go next. I think on the recording, we're probably only right around an hour. It's an hour 30, but we talked about a lot. We didn't actually get into it until about 15 minutes in. And then I think we've, you know, probably about 15 other things we can get out of there. Um, uh, it's probably uh, more relevant in the book, maybe. But I got a good laugh in the beginning in the interview when they're like, you know, we got to tell you 
the last guy murdered his whole family here. It like upsets a lot of people, so I wanted to tell you. And I was like, wait, but why? It's not like this is like the internet age. He's if you didn't tell him, he just wouldn't have known. And then Jack's like, that's a feature, not a bug. You know, like, <laughs> do you have to do the murdering yourself? Or? Like that, I was like, yeah, he never would have known if you didn't say anything. This turns a lot of people off when I tell them this. Don't even know why I keep doing it. <laughs> Damn it, you lost another applicant. Stop telling it's about the murder. day in like a week, bro. <laughs> you got to stop telling people that. <laughs> like, it, like that's what he wasn't going to find out if you didn't tell him, like. Right? Who would have told him? He's a, he's about to be alone in this place for months. Yeah, he's not going to get access to an old newspaper. He's not going to go to the library and look through the microfiche. Like, anyway. It, <laughs> it does seem like it has to, there's like a theme, and I think Cabin in the Woods highlights this like all over the head, but like there always has to be a way for the character to escape it. It, it does kind of bleed through. So like that was the, they always have to have the stupid warning they ignore anyway. I don't know. Yeah. And he specifically says, and, you know, he murdered his whole family with an axe. And Jack goes, well, that won't be a problem for me. And you're like, yeah, it will. (laughs) I bet it will. will. (laughs) You're already looking crazy. I don't even like axes. I'd use a machete. (laughs) So right in that scene where Ullman stands up and he shakes his hand, the color of his jacket and the sort of like files, like it was like an inbox, outbox thing he has on his desk. They're kind of the same color. So if you're looking for a homoerotic uh, reading, right when they shake hands, it looks like Ullman has a massive erection. <laughs> That's also from Room 237. Ooh, we got to watch it now. And, I, and I, it's just because I watched that documentary a while ago, unfortunately, it's it's not on a streaming service. Like You can rent it or whatever for a few bucks, but it's not on a streaming service, or I would have watched it today before we did this. Um, but that's one of the things they're like, yeah, I guess it kind of looks like a large penis. Um <laughs> This is one of the theories, so we have to tell you about it. <laughs> I, so I thought Room 237, wasn't that a Jim Carrey horror movie? Is this a documentary? Number 23? Yes, I am. Yeah, that's a completely cool. different. Yes, Room 237 <laughs> is a documentary specifically just about the conspiracy theories of The Shining. Okay. Um, so again, 237 makes 12. In the book, it's Room 217. Yes. So what's the change for? Uh, I actually looked it up because I was like, that's really weird. Like, it's really really weird weird change. So um, it's actually because they shot the movie at a hotel in Oregon, I think. Okay. And um, the hotel asked them to change the number because they had a room 217, but they did not have a room 237. And they didn't want future guests to not want to stay in that room because of the, the movie. That was a stupid call because future guests would absolutely pay thousands of dollars extra yeah, actually, to stay so, into that room. Um, Stephen King was really upset because he requested that they film it at the hotel that he based it off of, um, mm. which is in Colorado. And okay. they didn't film it there. Yes. Stanley? Um, the Stanley Hotel. And the Stanley Hotel has people coming there all the time asking to stay in room 217. And they say that they have the name, the the number plate stolen like on a weekly basis. Yeah. There you go. You just yeah. price it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Just if you stay there, you get to take the number plate. Yeah. <laughs> right oh, and the other thing I thought was interesting, too. So he said that, uh, you know, obviously he wrote this about himself again. And I'm like, he couldn't have wrote this about himself. It's a terrible character. And he's like, yeah, I was in a bad place at that time. <laughs> so I guess he was dealing with alcoholism. And he said he was dealing with like uncontrolled rage towards his family. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And he said that yeah. he was staying at this hotel and he had a nightmare about... um 
the the fire hose chasing his son around the the hotel, which is actually a part of the book. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's I like thought, a big hose with googly eyes. Yeah, like, oh, we'll get you, Daddy. <laughs> like, okay, and, and then I, he's like, "Why didn't he put that in the movie?" <laughs> <laughs> and I just kept thinking, like. Imagine like his his wife goes to read this book after he's like, yeah, you know, I I wrote this because I was going through a hard time. You're like, this is supposed to be you? Like, (laughs) should I be concerned? (laughs) Our prenup says no. (laughs) Is that worse than like being super high on painkillers and writing Dreamcatcher? I don't know. (laughs) Yes. He's like, yeah, I was super high on painkillers. Kept pooping big killer slugs. I don't know. What? It's about me. So that was a thing that happened to me. Dreamcatcher is not a good film. So My understanding of the is fire hose. Good... <laughs> yeah, where were we oh. that part? Uh, so there's a part of every episode where I say where I list a bunch of facts about something that no one else cares about. So do you guys want to hear some facts about the invention of the Steadicam? Can we talk about the fire hoses first? Yeah. Are there fire hoses in the movie? No, there's not. And we also, because one of the things uh, Ray noticed right away was they don't they they chose not to do the topiaries either. Yeah. yeah. And immediately, as soon as you noticed that, you're like, I bet you they couldn't do it. Like it probably would have been oh, way yeah. too hard. It would have looked terrible. It would have looked yeah. terrible. And I really like that they didn't seem to do anything that wasn't going to look good because this movie still looks good. Yeah, like, I was really the, pumped that that was actually the reason that they didn't do it. I was like, I bet they didn't do it because it would be too difficult to make it look good. And that's exactly yes. why they didn't. As soon as you said fire hoses chasing him around, I was picturing that in my head and like, hilarious. It's just, you could not do it and make it a, a, a serious part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It would just be immediately hilarious. It would look so obnoxious. Everything they chose to do, they did really well. Because even, because this this movie, when, when, did it come on that? 80, you said? 1980. 1980. It took still, a few years to All their make, effects but... are practical and they still look nice. Mm. Even like the lady in the tub that's all kind of like melting and stuff, she, she still looks gross. Yep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not like you look at it and you're like, oh, I see that, you know, it's so fake looking. It still looks real nice. It was funny because at the end it's credited with um, young lady in the tub. And like as I read it, I like had like a thought. I was like, oh, and then it was old lady in the tub. Oh, it was, just, <laughs> it was very like they're right next to each other. And like my reaction to both of them was very visceral. It was just a very funny like thing to read through. Also, oh, that reminds me. The other thing I forgot to mention was like with the book to movie adaptation. Um, they made a lot of very, very smart choices because yeah. they combined like obviously one of the problems that people have when they're making movies out of books is they don't have enough time to tell you the whole story right yeah um so they combined a lot of elements from the book together into one scene to like get the point across mm-hmm. so like the old lady in the tub for example she was never a young lady in the, in the book like it wasn't like she came in there and like he he went in there and she seduced him and then it turned into an old lady that didn't happen okay um but there was like a young lady that was a spirit like later on that he was flirting with so instead they made that one scene and they like managed to hit both of those points so the old lady in the tub thing happened separately yeah. from the from the the young lady that was actually a ghost that was seducing him. <laughs> so I am curious as a first time viewer, but this is obviously a very famous scene. So first off, curious if you knew what was going on here, um, the, the forces at play, and just generally your reaction when the uh, room two thirty seven scene where it's you're in first person going into the room. Which I was kind of blew my mind. I was like, well, first person didn't really exist yet, but you're in first person. You actually see Jack's hand push the door open and crap. And oh. then uh, you go in, you're looking at the bathroom. You can kind of make out a figure behind the curtain. It pulls back. 
Yeah, so just to clarify, there's only three scenes from this movie that I had seen beforehand, and it's blood elevators, it's a bathroom door, and it's frozen corpse in the snow. Okay. So this was... (laughs) So this was weird. (laughs) Yeah. Reactions. Uh, What the... Fuck, I think, spot, I, I, think I, I literally just wrote what the fuck a bunch of times. Um, so, 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 <laughs> give, give a, give a, play. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? Oh, no. Oh, no. It's all it's written. That's the whole thing. It just says what the fuck. <laughs> so you start kind of confused. But it was very. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I, I see where you're getting at. It was interesting to see because I guess my first thought was like, okay, there's the woman that choked his son is hot. Okay, that seems to have enough. He wants to get uh, choked. Uh, like apparently that, that <laughs> factors into his opinion as well because like it was weird that like he was immediately drawn to her. I think it makes more sense if you think of it as him like flirting with the hotel more than like a, oh, yeah. a random stranger. For but sure. um, so that and just to have it switch to like the 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 rotting woman, I guess I I kept trying to tie it into like. Who the fuck is this? Because the wife and the kids were who were murdered in the hotel. So where'd the yeah. dead, where'd the dead rotting woman come from? But uh, I didn't have a lot of time to process because let it just it's into something else. Like <laughs> yeah. fifteen seconds later, <laughs> then Jack goes back and she's like, and Wendy asks him what was there, and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. Nothing. No, <laughs> Not nothing even, there. He's like, nothing. There's nothing, nothing there. Kid's crazy. It's a little crazy kid, and I'm just like. Sure. Yep. That's what we're doing. We're just rolling with this. I, yep. I don't, I, I, it just, it kept moving and I didn't have time to stop and like. It really does keep moving. Does, I mean, yeah. for a two yeah. hour, 20 ish, 23 minute long movie. When uh, you t- said it was that long, I didn't believe you. I, I yeah, was, no, it rocks, man. It just would have guessed two hours max on this after. And I had watched it like the night before. Yeah. And it's often pinged for being slow and ponderous and, um, it's only just it's a wavelength part, opening credits. It's my only complaint of slow. Yeah, it's it's a whole wavelength you that you're on, man. Credits? It's like it was cool watching it, and there's like a good like music, like a you, score behind it and stuff. You did make the comment though. You were like, I think they just named every single person that's in the movie. <laughs> they did because <laughs> in the opening credits, usually you just like it's like this Jack Nicholson and like the big people, and they had like ten names up. I was like, I think that's every it's character. Only like, yeah, people. it's mostly three and a half characters in this movie. Yeah. yeah. And there was like 10 names in the opening credits. I was like, that's got to be everyone. That's got to be every single character right there. Scatman Crothers is like fourth build. And I know we're a little away already, but that scene with the bathtub lady too, I thought was interesting because that's like the only time in the movie I think that Jack's scared. Because he like runs away from that room. Mm. like After it, his nightmare too. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, you're right. He's you're right. terrified that's after another his nightmare. Because I was going to say, because he's real good. His performance is great through the whole movie. But that's one of the one of two times that his performance is different because every other time it's his crazy. He's got these crazy like eye movements and his, you know, the way his facial expressions he does for his like crazy Jack Nicholson thing. But those two scenes, he's like terrified instead. And he really sells it that he's like, yeah, there's um, and Ray can speak to this better. But there are a lot of important points in the movie, even after he starts running around there. I mean, in the book, even after he starts running around with Roke Mallet where he does have like moments of lucidity. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, it's, yeah. it felt like you were seeing parts where he was almost, I, I've, my theory was he's being possessed by the hotel when Pretty he much. like yeah. is doing crazy stuff. Yeah. And like, you kind of see like where it's him versus where it's the hotel. But my other thought was like, and I wasn't sure if it was the person before him or if there had been other people in between that hadn't murdered their families, but it seemed like the hotel can only like 
work on you so much. You already have to be a certain type of person for it to fuck with you like that. But. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have to have some weakness to exploit. Yeah. Alcoholism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you guys want to hear some fun facts about the invention of the Steadicam? Now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Yes. The Steadicam is uh, patented by Garrett Brown in the mid 70s. He sends around this um, almost like a mixtape called 30 Impossible Shots. <laughs> and it sort of circulates around Hollywood. And the 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 catch is him and, and his buddies film these shots that are impossible. No one knows how to do them. Um, and he doesn't say how he's doing them <laughs> because the patent hasn't been approved yet or whatever. And he doesn't want people to figure it out. Um, eventually it gets into Stanley Kubrick's hands. I think it was like a producer friend sees this, sends it to Kubrick. Kubrick writes a letter to Garrett Brown, who at this point, like he's not, you know, a famous person. He's just a guy trying to like be like, here's a cool thing I invented. It's the exactly 70s. Just happened, happened. Right. Yeah. It's the <laughs> 70s. We've got like, you know, the new Hollywood shit. The whole industry's changing. You got all these auteurs coming up. He gets a letter from fucking Stanley Kubrick. Mm. It's a telex from him. And it basically says, you know, I'm really, I'm really impressed with this. This is going to revolutionize Hollywood. Uh, if you want to protect it, there's 14 frames that I could see a shadow of what looks like a guy. And he describes exactly what the thing is. <laughs> um, he's like, so you might want to cut those frames out if you want to protect it before the patent comes through. Um, and like, P.S., what's the minimum height you can shoot at with this? So, and that like gets the gears turning. And so this is like in the mid 70s, but Kubrick's already planning. He already has the galleys pretty much planned for the shots where you're following the tricycle in his head, obviously. It's so good that when you're following the tricycle. Yeah. So, so Garrett Brown gets in touch with him and um, Kubrick tells him what he's trying to do. Garrett Brown figures out a way. So the way that a steady cam works, if you don't know, it's basically you're wearing this rig that kind of goes around your body almost. Oh, I've seen this. And uh, you have like a, you're sort of like holding a bowl and you got the camera and um, it, it, he doesn't actually have all the kinks worked out yet working directly on The Shining because Garrett Brown gets so excited by the project that Kubrick actually hires him to be the camera op, the guy who invented the fucking Steadicam. Um, and he invents this way, so it, it's on top of the rig, but he makes it basically upside down so they can film those sequences an inch off the floor, which is just not something you could do before. Um so it, it's this insane sort of like innovative thing that I can't imagine <laughs> seeing this movie at the time. I think there was only maybe six movies before this that even use a steady cam, but then to have the guy who invented it innovating several times over on top of that. And then you have these shots of just like this disembodied camera, um, following Danny, following people as they're walking around so often that there's a character moving through a space that even if the camera's not behind them, it's sort of keeping pace with them. Hmm. The whole point of a steady cam is um, you have the freedom of a handheld camera without the shakiness. It's still smooth like a mounted camera on a dolly would be. Because so it's, it's mounted to you. That's yes, like the, it's it's like the, the big you know, so it, kind this of This was super innovative at the time, which is probably oh, why yeah. critics saw this and were like, wow, this is I think people just terrible. Need some shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think there's, at least for some people, you know, not everyone is going to have the same issues, but I think for a lot of people, it's just like, can't get their mind around what's happening. I 
for those those it took ten years scenes. for them to like really think about it. Yeah, and, like, I, I think the, the just, <laughs> you only just had forty minutes, camera. Robbie. They needed ten years. <laughs> yeah, just the camera itself is so menacing. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. <laughs> I love those tricycle scenes. I feel like they yep. keep your you're just far enough behind Danny mm-hmm. that when he like makes corners, you like have just enough time to think yeah. like, oh my god, what is around this corner? <laughs> so we're well, talk we're talking about ways that Kubrick's consolidating story points, but those are just tension building shots they're virtuosic innovation and it's also giving you an idea of the layout of the overlook and where everything is early in the movie so later on when people are being chased through the hotel you know where they're going or you don't because the third time he's on the tricycle he there's like a quick cut and he's on a different floor all of a sudden and he like takes a left and a right and then it ends up in a spot that he shouldn't, that you didn't think he was going to end up in. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's working on so many levels. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just no, really no, cool. No, that's fine. <laughs> Honestly, she had mentioned something about the way they try to confuse you in the hotel. And I was yeah. like, you don't even need to. I'm fucking lost anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I, I had no map in mind. What's, nope. I, I don't. I didn't even know which floor was which floor. Yeah, you weren't you, supposed <laughs> to. They like purposely did that um, yes. so that you couldn't tell where you were. They would like purposely change things. They'd move fixtures to places that they weren't before so that it oh. wasn't like, it, it didn't make sense of how they had gotten in the rooms. Yeah, there's there are, there's be. like windows on walls that you thought were interior walls. Yeah. In the, um, there's staircases office, on different floors. There's, there's a window there but you see jack like walking like into the into it's an interior office interesting yeah but even (laughs) on those tricycle scenes with their crazy innovative camera i honestly think the best part of it is the sound the tricycle makes (laughs) they very strategically place carpets from from the carpet to the hardwood every every time it's louder you're just like oh my god (laughs) yeah and there's like a shitload of carpets very strategically like placed so that you get this sound from that tricycle going over carpet and hardwood and it's like yeah so to bring it back to robbie um this wasn't one of the three scenes you listed these various tricycle trysts. Okay. But th- this is such like an iconic shot. So what was your experience with that? I- I've seen it parodied a shit ton. Yeah. That, that I probably should have mentioned that one. Um, I always feel like, I think the intro to Bobby's world, that, uh, that cartoon from back in the day. I don't know if it was Bobby's world. It's I know there's a tricycle. I don't know. <laughs> there was definitely a family guy one with Stewie doing it. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but uh I definitely seen it in a couple other things, but no, it was it was really cool. I just, I think I just wrote it was iconic. I I liked it. I couldn't really put my finger on why I like it so much, maybe just the suspension building. Yeah. But I wasn't ever actually worried about him being in trouble on the tricycle for some reason. I, I don't know why. Like, I never thought he was going to turn the corner and run into something bad. It was always Uh-oh. just a, like... <laughs> so did you freak out when he turned the corner and ran into something bad? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Oh, the two the, girls. The two yeah, girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which keep... the girls actually aren't in the book either. Which oh, And, like, that's one of the most iconic ghosts in this whole thing. Mm. Yeah, because just we... in pop culture, maybe... Yeah. Like, the most iconic... Yeah, and that's not, that's not a part of the book either, so... Because yeah. when he turns the corner and sees them, that's when they alternate between he sees the two girls and he sees them all, like, mangled and yes. yeah. axe-ridden. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all axe-ridden. Yeah. They've got axes all over them. <laughs> Full axes. Lousy. Get these axes off me. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I was trying to do my over here uh, for this. Uh, I always think it's interesting this uh, detail I always pick up on that immediately forget that they do say that they're not twins yes they say they're different ages mm-hmm. so mm. yeah one of them is a little taller I think it seems, like, it seems you, like it you but I don't know if tell, it's just me telling myself that or I look at them like no they aren't twins huh because they yeah. they're a little different it's the outfits though that's what gets you 
because they yes. move exactly the same. Mm. So everyone's just, yeah, they assume mm. they're twins. And I always forget how early they hit you with those two. It's like yeah, the right first, away. within yeah. a couple minutes of Danny getting there, he sees them in yeah. the playroom. Mm-hmm. Um, while we're talking about like the sound from the bicycle, the other sound I, they do a lot that I like a lot is uh, Jack typing on his keys. Yeah. And I don't know why, but like hearing the, the typewriter like yeah. keys, because a lot of times it'll be when the camera's kind of like slowly bringing you into that giant room he's working yeah. in and all you so hear is like loud and yeah they, they're wicked loud and like click clacking i don't know what it is about them but i really yeah. like them mm. yeah yeah <laughs> there is a this this movie swears more than i do <laughs> yeah that's I true noticed, uh, all the f-bombs that jack drops i'm like they earned whatever i'm assuming they were an r-rated movie but <laughs> yeah. they earned it i imagine there was the elevator of blood <laughs> while we're talking about the sounds too yeah when does the heartbeat start because it's like hour 10 an hour and ten, and it's just it's just there after yep. for most of the movie. Did it you did you hear that? Did you notice it? And... It's like part of the score is a heartbeat. Like, yeah, gotcha. like the background music. There's a heart beating the whole time. It's tough because I, I one of the comments I was going to make is there's definitely a number of points in the movie where the score in the background a wasn't music. Most of it wasn't was yeah, never it's music. Just kinda, nope. It's yeah. just. Ominous. plucking on yeah. violins the and plucking yep. yeah. and just random shit and like there'd be probably like 15 minute stretches where i had been obviously processing it but not realizing it was there until they did one of those like cuts or a transition or something and it was suddenly gone and i was like oh my god i've been listening to that like nonsense music for 15 minutes now like it starts to drive you a little crazy it's oh yeah mm. oh yeah mm. yeah the score is wicked good the score is amazing i'm i'm usually pretty bad and recognizing a score and the effect it's having on the movie, the, not not the case with The Shining. I think it would you be always. Like, mm-hmm. I want to watch this movie now it. with like the sound turned off. <laughs> Is mm. it the same movie? Maybe I don't know. There, there are Jack does all his acting with his eyeballs, so probably <laughs> yeah. the scene with him and the like Jack and uh, Danny. I don't think would have been as scary without the score. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think there's there's a few times where the si- where silence is used pretty strategically too. Um. So you you had talked before just just while we're getting into the sound, there's a different YouTube video that I wasn't I was watching on my um, 4K Blu-ray player. So it's just like a little bit. Might as well, I want to go back on HBO Max so I can actually just like scrub the timeline with a mouse. Um, but I was watching a video that they say that there's I think 16 different instances where you can hear a chorus of people saying the word "shown" in the background. Um, guess that's what happens after The Shining. Yeah, you done shown. You done and, shown. <laughs> and it's usually, it's usually a there's a question asked, and then someone responds with like a men with like a mental function, like oh I think that you know whatever, and then people go shown or something like that. So like what the fuck? I've never noticed that before. So I want to go back on HBO Max and see if that's actually there. Um, and then. There's, you know, talking as Wendy's going up the stairs kind of towards the end. Yes, um, the weird chanting. And stuff. Yeah, and there's other times where you hear, like, actual chanting. Were you able to figure out what any of that is? Oh, uh, they said it's not English. It's, like, part oh, of the score. It's in, I don't Yeah, know. I know they're doing the DSE Ray sometimes. Yeah. DSE Ray, you know. Yeah. Mm. But a couple things I liked. I really like the scene where she drags him into the pantry, mm. and he, like, wakes up in the pantry, and he's yeah. like, yelling at her to let him out yeah yeah and the whole time we have this real bad 
Yeah, and then when he fakes being injured and I think stuff. I need to see a doctor. The, their acting is awesome. And then when he realizes she's not going to believe it, he's like, go check the snow cat. Yeah. <laughs> go check it out. Go check it out. Yeah. yeah. But the out. whole time this is going on, you're we're being shown him from like a, underneath, underneath him, yeah. remember? Because yes. he's like pressing against the door and the camera's under him. Yeah. And it's a steady cam. Well, I was going to say, it's a real cool. He's, he's fiddling with that handle too the whole time. The whole, you almost feel like he's going to like push it through the door. Like somehow. he's going to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, yeah, they got you real nervous that she's she's fucked right now that he's gonna find a way out of this thing, mm-hmm. or the the door is just gonna open or something. something. That and I think it's that camera angle too is what really gets you because like yeah. if you were like over so, his shoulder, it wouldn't do the same. So same idea. That's a wide angle lens. You can like make out the labels on the boxes behind him in the background of the shot, and it's just like his nostrils are flared and the he's not, you know, he's whatever age he is in this, but it's not like wrinkles. It's just the grooves in his face are so defined and exaggerated from this angle it just like looks fully evil at this point in such a cool way Mm -hmm. i also like when wendy runs out to the snow cat like right after this and she like gets the i i not that i'm a car person the thing and she's like holding it and she clearly has no idea what it is but she knows it belongs in the car (laughs) yeah i'm pretty sure it's called a distributor cap and i think those were four spark plugs (laughs) in the engine definitely needs those to start (laughs) (laughs) she's like oh no no, this, like, is, this is important. This, this is, is important. Yeah. It's in my hand. I believe it belongs in the engine. <laughs> I also like classically that every axe murderer has a limp, <laughs> yeah, which classic. makes sense. He did just roll down like a lot of stairs, like yes. a really lot of stairs. I noticed. Oh, yeah. So you you missed it. I was because you were making a note when it happened. But yeah, when he woke up in the the closet or what or the pantry, he like checked his ankle because he had hurt himself falling down the stairs yeah i didn't so even that's have why to... he had the limp and i looked it oh, over yeah. and you were not looking at the screen i'm like oh yeah he's gonna say something about the limp later well, I didn't <laughs> there, there's a few times where he's like really yeah. like rubbing his limp you didn't even need that. to show me though i just watched him roll down like a grand yeah. staircase so i was like yeah that's all i need to know why you're limping i know they did make a point to say that he had hurt his leg though just well just because we kind of went back to that scene do you want to know what the typewriter alts are in different languages they didn't want to just have all work and no play makes jack a dull boy they tried to look for a equivalent idiom in that language so they wouldn't have to like subtitle the text mm-hmm. do you want to hear what those are hell yeah yes. so kubrick like i said shot different takes of wendy reading the typewriter pages in different languages um in german it was do you want me to do the german or just tell you what it says what it says yeah my german is pretty rusty all right i thought you might think it's fun but whatever <laughs> Uh, in German, it says, never put off till tomorrow what may be done today. Mm. That's kind of ominous. <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. not what I want to read as Wendy at this point no. <laughs> in the movie. Oh, he's going to kill and, me um, today. <laughs> and of course, the, these are idioms, so they probably have like a slightly different meaning than literal, but since we don't speak these languages, so, you know, grain of salt. Uh, that being said, for instance, the Italian is, the morning has gold in its mouth. <laughs> Oh, no. they're into oh, pizza. No. <laughs> I know. So, you know, in Boca Lupo is about having good luck, but literally in the mouth of the wolf, right? So I'm assuming it's something about luck. The morning has gold in its mouth. Okay. Um, French, one, here you go, is worth more than two. You'll have it. <laughs> <laughs> All the, right. equi- the equivalent of a bird in the hand is yeah. worth two in the bush. Yep. yep. Uh, Spanish, no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sunrise any sooner. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. 
So those are the those are the different language alts of the typewriter scene. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that fun? I think only the German a lot. <laughs> I wonder if it's as iconic because that like that's like you were saying something that's not from the book but is very like you think every German sitcom has a uh, don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today (laughs) joke yeah that's what I'm like it can't it can't be as iconic right just like every American sitcom has an all work and no play joke yeah (laughs) one thing I do want to key in on Okay, it's not one thing. I'm lying. There's multiple things I want to key in on. One of the 15 things that I like. <laughs> Among the 50 or so things that I like, I want to key in on. Um, the use of color in this movie is is always blows my mind. Everything is such, such a rich color. And with the wide angles, you get a huge view of the rooms with the characters usually in the dead center feeling kind of closed in, but also in these massive spaces. Always standing out to me by design is the bathroom scene in the bathroom that may or may not exist off of the gold room. That's in a completely different style than the rest of the building (laughs) where the walls are just a deep, deep red. Mm -hmm. He's in a red room. He's in a red room. Danny's saying red rum, um, red color of blood. I don't know if you guys know this. (gasps) Actually, according to color theory, it's a very comforting color. Do you know what I'm (laughs) It's <laughs> a big uh, Tumblr joke about that. Sorry, that's funny. <laughs> the room's very red, and that's uh, that's the room he decides to murder his family in. I love this scene so much with Delbert Grady, not Charles Grady, as he was told earlier. Um, I always think of the phrasing of you know he's a very willful boy. <laughs> yeah. My- Sometimes when my dogs like misbehave, like it's a very willful. <laughs> Jesus, it was a really good scene boy. when he's having that conversation. With if you don't Brady. mind me saying, a very naughty boy. Yeah, naughty. <laughs> <laughs> I had to correct them. Yeah, the way he just kind of trills a little bit on the correct. Yeah, I had to correct them. <laughs> the impressive part about that bathroom too is that's from like, I mean, it looks like that bathroom is from 2010. It, you yeah, know, right. like he, yeah, no, it's, he, it's a completely different style. Then they said mm-hmm. the gold room was updated recently. <laughs> well, I just mean like if to film that in the 80s and get modern. Like yeah. they basically predicted yeah. modern architecture. Like I've seen that bathroom, but I <laughs> nobody has seen it in the eighties. In the eighties yeah. through yeah. the two thousands, even. And it's, yeah, I also like uh, the scene with the old lady in the tub when they go into that room, and it's probably the wide angle lenses, honestly. But the room feels really big, so I'm always like, "Oh, this is a this would have been probably like a nice room." The bathroom feels mm-hmm. really big, but it's like. 70s nice the color scheme's really weird like the sinks are this like green color i wanted to i wanted to hit on this next actually i saw a thread on twitter recently that was talking about the color of the kind of like sea foamish green is the color of medical scrubs and you go into the room and there's sort of like a metal bar around the outside mm-hmm. the uh the sinks look a lot more industrial than other sinks. They're still sinks, but they are they have like metal poles holding yeah. them up and stuff. The metal legs, I know. And um I don't know, it's kind of hospitally morgy kind of. Um the reason that medical scrubs are the color they are, according to random Twitter poster, I can't remember. I'm not a doctor. Sorry if this isn't actually true. A doctor. But it makes a lot of sense. The reason that they're like a blue or kind of a greenish blue <laughs> is because blood stands out on it. Ah. So and that's the same color that they use in in that bathroom. It's interesting. The use of color in this movie is amazing. Obviously the gold room, 
you go in there, and Wendy says, gold and pink are my favorite colors. And you're like, all right, Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down, Wendy. Calm down, Wendy. <laughs> um, that, that like awful wallpapered yellow hallway where Danny sees the twins. Not twins, I know. Yep. Yep. I have a, a little fun fact. So the the rug, you know, the one that he's, you know, riding around on the trike on. Yeah. Um, the, Is it going to be about the Mitchells versus the machines? No. Okay. Okay. Um, but <laughs> We have uh, two fun facts about the rug. Yeah. Well, it's a very iconic rug, I guess. People really like it. But yeah. um, it's uh, they use that rug for Sid's house in Toy Story, the first Toy Story. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's in the hallway. Yep. Um, so Katie and Mitchell's versus the machine. Oh. Her her socks are the same pattern. Oh, okay. That's why. Uh, okay. So we hit a lot of things that we really liked in this movie. Robbie, if since this was your first time watching it, was there anything that just did not work for you in this movie? Yeah, that's a good question. There's one one thing in particular that didn't I did not like that I wanted to get into. So, um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I think the only thing in this movie that really did not work for me at all, like I said, didn't love her performance of her running, but the scene transition in the end to Jack being frozen is like comical almost. I think it's because his eyes are open. Yeah. Like, I don't well, know what it is. It's it's tough to separate it from it being like a pretty prevalent meme today yeah. also. That could be it too. I think it just, I don't, I, I I don't know if they didn't do it well or that's just not. I'm like, he shouldn't look like this, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> no, he froze to death. I don't know. He did freeze to death. I don't know. It's just so abrupt, want. too. It is very abrupt. It is. It's very, yeah. He just froze in and it's kind of silly looking, I think. I don't know. That's the only scene that like doesn't really work for me in this movie. Okay. I, I can understand that. I think what doesn't work about it is just like, I don't know if they had the tech to to do a, a, a good somebody frozen to death that still felt scary. I think they maybe even should have just done like him face down in the snow. I was going to say him face down, like covered in the snow and like maybe like the axle. I don't know. know. That's the only part I think of the movie really that the one of the only scenes where I'm like, "Uh." or it would have been even scarier just to not have shown his body, just footsteps leading off into the woods and then just like leave it. But I get it. They wanted to let you know he froze to death. They mentioned in the beginning of the movie to the Donner party, like freezing up there too. So, well, the whole thing is he gets trapped in the maze. Yeah. You got to know he gets trapped in the maze. Mm. Yeah. He's the Minotaur now. So, yeah. Um, one of the fun things that I haven't considered before, but it was just like, I'm looking up like other stuff, other theories, the moon landing thing. He's wearing the Apollo 11 shirt where he goes into room 237. Oh, by the yeah. way, those sweaters on point. Who made them? <laughs> who, 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 like somebody specifically knitted them Good for this sweater. movie. Yeah, the it's wherever Noel people. Fielding gets his clothes. <laughs> I assume yeah. it's you're supposed to think that Wendy knitted Some thrift it. thrift store in London. That's what I assume, but like I love that. He hasn't a couple. Too. There's that's got you that I'm sure like for $80 you could have that sweater from like some novelty <laughs> they sweaters. They get progressively worse and it just crescendos with the Apollo 11 sweater. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. By the time you get there, they're like, okay, no, no, no. Yeah. And once you're introducing like pictures and, and text onto your sweater, it's you've lost the plot. Um, so yeah, part of the room 237 thing is the pattern that he's on, kind of like a maze, but also the part where the ball, like it, um, makes contact with his trucks. It's sort of like an arrow pointing down, which means the rocket didn't happen or something. So Kubrick faked the moon landing. It's something like that. It's been a while since I watched Room Two Thirty Seven. Uh, they also said there's like 
237,000 miles from here to the moon. Yeah, there's exactly... And that's why they changed the number. There's exactly 237 gotcha. lines of dial... No, there's exactly 237 questions posed in the film. Yeah, you know, some people like think it's like a subtle confession by Stanley Kubrick that he faked the moon like landing. He was the director that uh, like shot... I personally don't think it's subtle. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious that this is a confession <laughs> that he faked the moon landing. <laughs> I just think it's cute you still believe in the moon. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that always threw me off in this movie is, well, there's a lot of things, but when he's, when Wendy and Danny are walking around the hedge maze, like for fun, and he's looking at the model of it. Yeah. And then they like, the camera pans over the top so that you you think you're over the model and you can see them moving in it. And then it like pans down and you're just in the maze. And I always, for like a split second, think he can see them. I think he can. And yeah, I'm not. I don't. I don't know if he can. Yeah, you're su- you're supposed to wonder. Um, it's him at that point, lording over them, this massive presence, looking down on them, playing with them like they're toys. By the end, he's tricked in that same maze, and he's being dwarfed by the hedges. Um, you know, or that's not, or or that's just in I, you know. I took head. it as he was like tapped into the hotel, and the hotel is aware of where the people are. I kind of that's kind of like the, the, it's like the hotel like showing him something. Yeah, kind of like thing. here's yeah. where they are. It's good shit, and that's right when he did, he's doing the Kubrick stare when they when he comes in, they're outside and it pushes in on him, and he's doing. No, oh. it's, the, it's the Kubrick stare. He's looking out the top of his eyes, and his face is kind of tipped down. Yeah. It's in like every Kubrick movie, someone's staring at the camera like that. Um. Mm-hmm. So, how do you think they filmed that shot in the late 70s? Which, oh, of like coming down on them? Yeah. You know, it wasn't a drone? No, it wasn't funny, a drone. Well, I, he faked the moon landing, so he's got to have some kind of true. equipment, right? It's funny because I didn't was even a think about that. But I, <laughs> yeah, like I said, I did, I did think about the opening scene. I was like, how did they film this? Because this is a very clear drone scene. Mm. And that one's also very clear. Like, this would be a drone now scene, and I didn't even think about it. Like, it yep. didn't even cross my mind that it would have been really hard to film. Imagine they just hung another they, asshole out of a helicopter. They dropped the camera straight <laughs> from space. Not a helicopter this time, yeah. Because they didn't actually build a massive maze that's infinite in every direction like it looks in that shot. Um, they just built certain sections for the filming. Hot air balloon? Uh, no. So there, it's sort of like a composite thing. Shelley Duvall and, and Danny uh, Lloyd are walking in like a parking lot, and the camera's someone leaning out a window filming straight down on them yeah. from like the top of an apartment building. Yeah. And then they composite that with the sort of just like super symmetrical maze that goes forever in every direction. Um, or they don't. I don't know. Weird to get a straight answer on the internet about that particular thing. But that's what I found. Mm. That, <laughs> that makes more sense to than, the moon theory. Then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes more sense than my idea of dropping the camera out of like a helicopter or plane with a little parachute <laughs> and hoping that it's not windy that day. <laughs> Some balloons. <laughs> That would work though. You just if you drop enough of them, you're gonna get it. Yeah, <laughs> cameras aren't expensive. Yeah, yeah. Play the numbers game. One of the things that I did pick up on this time a little bit, just because I was reading some analysis that I hadn't before, was the sort of perversions uh, and subversions of different parts of like American nuclear family iconography that the movie is maybe arguing for the disintegration of American nuclear families through the kind of idyllic idea of a father gathering firewood for his family by chopping down trees, instead 
you get him with the with the axe chopping down doors trying to murder his family. Wendy as the mother with the kitchen knife, but instead of preparing food, she's defending herself from murder. Interesting. Um, you know, different stuff like that. So a lot of uh, grotesque visions of fatherhood and motherhood, and the the kid you know. that has a direction of the future and parents aren't aware of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah, it's just all this different stuff. She she traps him in the kitchen, and men aren't supposed to be in the kitchen. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah, fun fun stuff like that. Eat Oreos because he can't prepare prepare a meal. Yeah, he traps her in the bathroom, which is where women get ready. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That was, again, this isn't my theory. This is just one of the fun theories that I hadn't seen before that I was looking at. Hmm. That is um, interesting. But I thought it was pretty intriguing to view through that kind of lens. That uh, it, It's not like a random thing. A lot of people feel like it's about the disintegration of the American nuclear family in the late 20th century. But, you know, that was interesting. Well, it was, it was interesting, too, when she was, like, trying to figure out how to leave and, like, we'll just go without him if he doesn't want to go. And, like, I, I don't, I know it was right around at that time in history, but I, I don't think a, a woman could even have her own bank account until, like, the late 70s, early 80s. So it was just, I, I was thinking, like, even before, like, even if she wasn't trapped in a hotel, how does packing up your kid and leave your child look when you can't have a bank account? Or, or anything like that. So I, I, I don't know. Interesting. There were definitely a lot of things that I was like, ooh, what is like happening in this time in history? Especially too, because she like straight up tells that doctor that like, yeah, you know, my husband like ripped his arm out, but like, obviously that's some, he was drinking at the time <laughs> and husbands do that. Like all of your patient's parents, of yeah. course. <laughs> like that just is a thing that husbands do when they drink. And the doctor's like, mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And then like, her smoking at breakfast. <laughs> she offers the doctor a cigarette. Yeah. She's not like, oh, you shouldn't smoke. She's just like, oh, no, thank you. I'll have yeah. one later. I also really like when they're driving up to the overlook down the sidewinder. Danny is like basically in the front seat with them. <laughs> like he's leaning over. I'm like, this kid clearly has no seatbelt on. Let's talk about cannibalism. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about cannibalism. When she sends him outside to play in the freezing blizzard, no jacket. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> out a window to get out there. <laughs> a window. They they could have done a little better. That okay. That was the one part that bothered me. The entire time she was struggling to get through the window, she was like the parts that get stuck were already through the window. <laughs> I, the I, same I, exactly. I was like all the parts were like your your main width of bones is through the window. It's like I guess maybe your hips is gonna be the next part. But then I did think like if your rib cage comes out a bit, like oh. maybe you just well not the boobs because you're trying to squish, but like. You do have, you know, it does come out a bit more than like, you know what yeah. I mean? You kind of come. So I was like, oh, maybe that's what's stuck. When she pulled herself out of the window, you could see how small that window opening is. It and it's like, there's really no tiny. way. It's very small, but. But he said the same thing. <laughs> I just, I could have fit through that window. Well, it made me think of like her trying to put him in the pantry, you know, and she yeah. like couldn't yeah. even open the thing yeah. because she was so scared. I mean, she could barely fit herself out the window because she couldn't open it. I always, I, I that scene's so terrifying, obviously, but I always think it looks pretty fun sliding down that big snowdrift. Yeah, I love the big snowdrift. When she was calling to him to tell him to run away, for a split second, I thought she was calling to him to have him help pull her through. And I was like, oh. not get back up there. Climb <laughs> no, back up. Absolutely not. But. It's only a 25 foot tall snow slope. Climb back up, Danny. It made a lot more sense. She was like, Danny, Danny. I was like, wait, what is she doing? Just run away. Okay, yeah, do that. <laughs> I like uh, yeah that was something else man I I, I always think like just great you know once it's obvious that Jack's gone away she doesn't make any attempt to like give Hyler a heads up <laughs> like she she hears someone's come in a snowcat but she's 
obviously terrified while Jack's still trying to get through the door, but then he leaves to go investigate. And she, there's probably an overlap where she would be free to stick her head out the window, see who it is, and maybe say, uh, crazy guy with an X, don't come in just yelling your location, you know? <laughs> I guess her primary concern is Danny at that point, though, I think. Yeah. It's like, I gotta yes, go figure but- out where Danny is. And then I'm imagining, because it's like not super clear the timeline, very shortly after she's out of that room is the whole just ghost everywhere encounter mm-hmm. that she like deals with. Yeah. So then yeah. her concern of hollering is zero percent. It's like, oh my God, there are just ghosts everywhere all of a sudden. Well, I thought- Party, huh, bro? She, or whatever that guess is. And I, I get a little why she didn't because he was still like right in that entryway, but yeah. she should have stuck her head out the window as soon as he pulled up and been like, help! <laughs> um, oh yeah. Just something, like she wouldn't necessarily have even had to say, he has an axe, be careful, he's around. But like, just to express that, like, there's danger. Yeah, present. there's there's imminent. Don't just wander in and like trying to find us. Yeah, like we're not defense. already dead. There's an we're active murder being, being commuted. Holler should have known something was well. He knew something was up because he he yeah because what, the door's wide open. And he went out through a lot of trouble to get here. Too. Yeah, so, so the he fact knew that he's just wrong. going. In, Hello, right, you guys yeah. here? All like I could he think knows the whole what's time happening. This is going on. I was like, he doesn't shine that bright. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> important. I mean, important uh, difference between the book and the movie. I don't know if you want to. Oh, about the ending. Well, Halloran, he doesn't die in the he book. He doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. he doesn't die in the book. Yeah. No. He gets pretty, he gets kind of fucked up. Oh, yeah, and Wendy gets really fucked up, too. Yeah. Oh, does he actually get some hits in? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's and again, it's he's really... Using, he's using a blunt. It's it's object. brutal, yeah, because it's a mallet. It's like a croquet mallet, basically, that he's beating him with. It's not an axe. Oh, jeez. So, yeah, yeah he so breaks Wendy's up. back, and she's, like, trying to, like, crawl out. Oh, she's, like, like fully broken back? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's messed it's up. up. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's pretty fucked up. The, obviously, the, like, most iconic scene from this whole movie is him, like, breaking down that door. And it's always the like, here's Johnny thing. But I really, really like his his three little pigs thing he does before swinging. <laughs> yeah. the axe. It's really good. Mm. By the hair on your chin, chin, chin. <laughs> yeah. Um, fucking nut job. <laughs> what is that? Like, just like, oh my God, if you're going to murder me, fine, but like, don't make it weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is worse don't, don't than the murdering. <laughs> Then he opens it and goes, here's Johnny. It's like, you were just doing a Three Little Pigs thing. Now you're doing a Johnny Carson thing. Like, at least be consistent, bro. Up to that point, too, they're not super clear, but it's been like a day or two days since Danny has been gone at that point, too. Oh, right, where it's... It's, presumably Tony. I it's love that she, Tony. she never explores it a, just a little bit. Like it is like the least of her concerns. I think right at now. that yeah, point no, she's just like, okay, all right, right, he's here. I have track of him at the moment. Yeah, he's yeah, because at this point it's been Tony for like a day or two days too until the red rum thing where she like very heavily, although she's pretty aware that her, oh her husband's locked in the pantry, so she's aware that her husband's about to try and murder her, but she is sleeping. Pretty heavily because her kid is cr- like croaking rah, 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 <laughs> on the side of her bed long enough to like go find a nice writing utensil and write it out. And she just sleeps through this whole, whole thing. I don't I don't think she went to sleep. The lights were still on. She yeah. was still in her bathrobe. I think she just like actually passed out from being awake. And that's why I, I, you know what uh, I mean? Like yeah, she was. Yeah. Just plus, like, he's not he's not too loud until right before he wakes right her late. up. Yeah. yeah. But I, I and she fucking be, wakes up to him screaming red rum, holding a big knife yeah. right next to her. Yeah. Yep. Which what, what what how do you guys react when that happens as parents? Oh, when we wake up to our that's kid holding a big knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's pretty normal for us. Uh, when she was real little, she uh had gone outside and killed a squirrel with a knife and brought like at in, during the night and brought it into our room, like a cat would. And we yeah. uh, people don't obviously you're not happy when your cat does it, but no one's super concerned. And it's the same thing with parenting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so she would have been what a few months old at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's normal though. Mm. It, it she happens. was just curious. She's a very yeah. willful child. You want to see what happens? She's very willful. If you don't mind me saying, a naughty child. <laughs> I, I do. I, I mind you saying that. It's not my child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, whatever. Uh, about Tony. <laughs> <laughs> about Tony. So that's obviously an abuse defense mechanism, like that you can see in small children who like disassociate, right? Oh yeah. That's, yeah. Okay, that's pretty. We don't need to get too far into it because that's just right on the surface. I that doesn't remark upon it, but that's obviously what's happening. Oh, but anyway, so one of the things that I thought was really interesting is the way that they portrayed Tony in the movie because I feel like it was yes. really, it, it was really smart again because that's not how it is in the book. It's like in the book, it's him like imagining that there's like a a figure somewhere. Like it is, it's coming to him in images. Okay. But I feel like that would be like corny to kind of show that you know how do you conceptualize that in a in a movie right it would you would just see like flashes of like things yeah. like it would just be too difficult it wouldn't look good. him with like the extra voice and the fingers like real good especially it too was because a good choice it like right in the beginning of the movie the first time he does it is in the bathroom he like is talking to himself in the mirror with tony mm. and they give you like Basically, all the information you need about The Shining right there. Because mm-hmm. Tony's telling him, he's like, do you think he's going to get the job? He already did. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you get, like, more than enough information yeah. right there. Like, oh, okay, cool. He can, like, see things. And, like, uh, obviously, Halloran goes into more detail with it. But that scene right there was, like, enough. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a ton of clever uses of shortcuts to get you yeah. in the same place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's talk. So, big picture. Um this was adapted by first Stephen King, but contractually Kubrick got final say on it. He didn't like Stephen King's screenplay. <laughs> so he wrote one of his own. Um, he wrote it with a co-writer named Diane Johnson, who said of The Shining, the novel, among us, the novel's not part of great literature. It's scary, it's effective, and it works without further ado. But it is precisely interesting to see how a very bad book can also be a very effective. Whoa. It's quite pretentious. But it also but it's also true that one has less scruples when destroying it. One is aware that a great work of art is not being destroyed. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay. Kubrick, so she just uses this to wipe her ass. Like that's uh, yes. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. Kubrick actually liked the book and said it was um one of the very few times that a work he was looking to adapt, he actually like read cover to cover and really enjoyed. Uh, but his co-writer felt <laughs> you, you should always <laughs> you should read the whole thing if you're writing something about it. No, he he means Not like something you... that like he felt like compelled oh, to like. Oh, he enjoyed it. Oh, okay. I yes. thought you meant he didn't read it. <laughs> no, no, so, something that he was actually like being hooked in, like okay. like oh, I got to keep reading, kind of okay, thing. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Like he read cover to cover, like in one sitting. He means gotcha, yeah. gotcha. He reads the other works. He just was. Pulled into this one and excited reading as a reader rather yeah. than as I can't like she didn't, even, she didn't like it because like all the critics sucked. <laughs> all the critics that thought the movie sucked were like this sucks read the book yeah so maybe that was her like this sucks, being watch like, the movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right um so obviously as we've been talking about and threading it throughout King doesn't like this movie <laughs> he's kind of softened his stance over time but still doesn't super like it. Um, there, there's uh, obviously tons of stuff written about this, tons of stuff that he has said about it, but one of the most concise things that I, that I really like 
It was just from a few years ago in 2013. A journalist, Laura Miller, wrote that the discrepancy between the two is uh, not actually quite what King thinks, which is that the movie's downplaying the supernatural and he, instead of like the sort of external forces making these people do things, it's just people who are just, you know, doing things. Um, She argued actually the opposite. And she said the decisions that the characters make, whether it's to confront a pack of vampires or break 10 years of sobriety are what matters to Stephen King. But in Kubrick's The Shining, the characters are largely in the grip of forces beyond their control. It's a film in which domestic violence occurs. Well, King's novel is about domestic violence as a choice certain men make when they refuse to abandon a delusional, defensive entitlement. As King sees it, Kubrick treats his characters like insects because the director doesn't really consider them capable of shaping their own fates. Everything they do is subordinate to an overweening, irresistible force, which is Kubrick's highly developed aesthetic. They are its slaves. And then the line that I think probably stands out the most is in King's The Shining, the monster's Jack in Kubrick's the monster is Kubrick. Jesus Christ. (laughs) You just going to strip a man naked like that in front of everyone to see. (laughs) Yeah. Oh shit. Wow. Um, King said that Kubrick's the shining is a film by a man who thinks too much and feels too little. Uh, Other critics of King have said that he feels too much and thinks too little. (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of animosity. Obviously, back and forth, mm. but yeah, I he likes he likes what Flanagan did with Doctor Sleep, though he originally so King now isn't in a position where someone else has final say on how his adaptations are structured. So he uh, was pitched by Mike Flanagan this version of Doctor Sleep, where the Overlook still exists, and it's sort of like a melding of the two. And he first sort of was like rejecting it. But then I guess Flanagan like explained to him how it would work, and and he ended up liking it. And um, he says that everything he ever disliked about the Kubrick version of The Shining is redeemed for me here. Talking about the Doctor Sleep movie. Oh, okay. Wow. So there you go. I could about see- a lady with a big hat who tries to eat kids. Okay. <laughs> so I could see that because I think well, a lot their of energy, the sorry, like the the criticisms that even the article you were reading. I can see her point too, but it it's very much how you interpret it because oh, I yeah. feel like all of those elements are present anyway. It's just how much you yes. feel they were. I think this is just and and before this, he wasn't necessarily anywhere near as critical about adaptations of his work. But I think this one is just sort of whether he sees that as like this is his most important work or his most personal, he obviously had something of a bigger oh, yeah. stake in it that for someone to come in and say, well, this is complete shit. We're just going to take the parts that work and ignore the other shit that doesn't. Yeah, someone tore <laughs> yeah. up what he did and made something new. Well, but like right, yeah. not just what he did when he actually will like got naked himself and was like, this is me at my worst. This is how horrible I am. It's and they true, were like, actually, I, let's... I feel like uh, he does that in like all his books. Oh, uh, okay. I mean... I, I still think you're right, though. Yeah, no, you're right, yeah. Um, To his credit, <laughs> we do have the version that he would have preferred in the 1997 miniseries, <laughs> Stephen King's The Shining, uh, in which... It's mine. <laughs> you know, 17 years after Kubrick's The Shining comes out, this movie comes out, well, it's a miniseries. It's on TV. So obviously it's not directed by one of the most inventive uh, image makers 
of all time. Mm. <laughs> but I mean, it looks like dog shit. And it's not scary. So I don't know. And I mean, it's it just critics couldn't goofy. have found it any worse. <laughs> yeah. I just can't get over the, uh, that people hated this movie. Yeah. It comes out. Um, it gets nominated for zero Oscars and it is instead nominated for two Razzies for Worst Actress, which is won by Shelley Duvall, and they also nominated Kubrick for Worst Director. Wow. I also Holy read shit. For the maybe, out. perhaps one of the most important movies to the visual language of film that we've covered on this. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. I read that this movie was also released the same weekend as Empire Strikes Back. Oh, Stop. Jesus. Who made that decision? Like, you must, you must have known that Star Wars was coming out that weekend. Not just Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back is coming out. Well, was... was I think Empire was what defined them. I think that was their, like, they weren't as popular after New Hope. Uh, I don't know. I thought, like, no, a no, New I Hope think, did it, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think New Empire, Hope was one like, of those. Threw it over the top. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. New Hope was one of those things where people went in and it was like, oh my God, you have to see this because this has never happened before. And then everyone's like, what's coming next? So everybody went to go see Empire. Yeah. Right? And I mean, Empire obviously is a huge cultural moment because of the. I am your father right. stuff. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But like, why would you gamble and be like, I'll release my movie that same weekend. It can't be that I bad. Mean, spoiler <laughs> alert, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, there's some, so some people thought that Nicholson was good and thought it looked nice, but thought it was ultimately pretty bad. And other people just thought it was all bad. Variety <laughs> <laughs> uh, said with everything to work with Kubrick is teamed with jumpy Jack Nicholson to destroy all that was so terrifying about Stephen King's bestseller That's a common initial funny. criticism was the slow pacing highly atypical of horror films at the time mm. now did any of these people come back like years later and be like I am sorry oh yeah sure for sure absolutely uh, Siskel and Ebert both didn't like it and uh, Ebert was never one to shy away from changing his opinions on things I don't actually have if he updated to change it in front of me, but he that's a thing he did a lot, so I'm sure. At least some of them did. Pauline Kale didn't like it either, but she doesn't like a lot of stuff. Uh, this is the only one of Kubrick's last 11 movies to receive no nominations at all from the Oscars, Golden Globes, or BAFTAs, hmm. and was his only film to be nominated for Razzies. This is a real good quote from Silicon Valley, and it's uh, being too soon as being the, the same thing as being wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah. you know, like in the tech world, like there's been plenty of tech it, that is invented 20 yeah. years ago and is not marketed right and just doesn't take off and, or Zunes. whatever. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not Zunes, but like Zunes. <laughs> but good things. Yeah. But, but, like but good, good ideas. Things, good ideas. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Yes. <laughs> no, but I, that's totally the accurate. Apple yeah. It's if, if you're too soon, you're still wrong. I mean, it's still great. It works out for the movie thing. Like we still get to watch it, but yes. they didn't win the awards because they were too soon. I think within a few, it took a few years for, I think the reappraisal starts maybe by, by the late eighties, people are like, is this the best movie ever made instead of complete horseshit? Like we all said, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just like, it's weird to go that far. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, completely yeah. turn around. I like, like to imagine they like just are, wake up one day and they're like, "Wait a second, <laughs> yeah, this is Con- genius." That contemporary was the best critics are talking saw. about it like it's like Cats twenty nineteen, you know. But <laughs> that's really funny. Um, anything else that we want to mention? I think I covered all my points that I had for this movie. Yeah, it's great. I'll just give another plug for the book. 
It's just so good. If you have questions about the movie, just read the book. Mm. Yeah, you can send us an email. Um, did you say you, you said you liked the book's ending a lot better too, right? I did. It was a lot more satisfying, but... Which is unusual because I feel like Stephen King's endings are usually bad. Yeah, the one time he got it right. They changed it. <laughs> <laughs> the picture in the end confuses me still. What's what's uh he's always been the caretaker. He's, he's, yeah. always, been he's always been the caretaker. Yeah. It just Well, it's like um you know, Charles Grady was here a few years ago and he murdered all his kids and he was the caretaker. Um but Delbert Grady, he's always been there. So Maybe that's like John Torrance in the picture. <laughs> there's all kinds of doubles. As we said before, yeah. there's mirrors all the time and doubling and doppelgangering. And In the book, everything at the hotel basically happens at the same time. So like when he's like at the part in that ballroom, there's people there that are from like the 1920s. There's people there that are from the 1950s. Like everybody, everything in the hotel is happening like in in sync like all together okay it's all times in mm, one yeah mm-hmm. so i guess maybe that's what they're also trying to say in the movie like i don't know he's also there in 1921 because he's there now and you know he's just always been there because everything at the overlook is just one time that's what they go for in the book anyway huh. i'm gonna have to read the book it's real good that's dope yeah Thanks for talking about The Shining, guys. Yeah. Oh, anytime. Anytime. Uh, I've been Ben Holtz. I'll always talk about The Shining. That Shine was, on. That was Robbie, Ray, <laughs> Greg, all you, all them, all them with talking words. If you want to follow us on Instagram, I highly suggest it. It's uh, late to the movies, late number two, the movies underscore podcast on Instagram. You can also email us your feedback or any questions you have. We'll answer your questions on the pod. If you send us enough of them, we'll do a mailbag episode, which means we won't have to watch a movie. Ha ha ha. Jokes on you. And that's uh, late two number two late two the movies at gmail.com. Please email Ben, even if it's bad. If it, maybe that's better, honestly, because yeah. I will get a I'll really good laugh out of it if mm. someone emails him mean yeah. things. There's also sure. like a a working contact form on the on the website, so you can go there too, and uh, that also feeds into that email. So hmm. you know, uh, good shining to you, and uh, later. There was Johnny. (laughs) Peace. There goes Johnny.